eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease and a whole lot of love, you transform 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. LED headlights, spoilers, whatever you need. eBay Motors has it at affordable prices. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride every time. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May of 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. There's no place to escape to. This is the last podcast. On the left. (laughs) That's when the cannibalism started. This is the final countdown. <laughs> <laughs> oh, did you watch um, right, that? I'm... Yeah, that is the final countdown for people in New York. Did you see your nuclear Holocaust preparedness? <laughs> Get inside. Uh, so, Sam said, so watch media. So we've had a nuclear attack. Doesn't matter how. Doesn't matter who did it. We just know that the big one has finally come. Here's how you can survive and help your family to survive the upcoming nuclear holocaust. Top just, 10 nuclear holocaust locations to listen to podcasts. She's way too cool about it. Way too cool. Step one, get inside. With your friends and your family. It's like, <laughs> fucking Christ. <Jesus> Christ. <laughs> chilling. is absolutely is, chilling. Have fun with it. If you're, if you're going to do a New York warning about nuclear holocaust, it's got to be, it has to be pronounced nuclear Holocaust. <laughs> like, that's the only way for it to be legit. No, and, I, and Henry, the, speaking to your point on 1010 Wins this morning, I did hear a woman from Queens describe something as horrible. Horrible. Oh my God, it's horrible. It's so it's horrible. horrible. Even today, we're going to get into even more of these divisive. Honestly, I'm going to say the actions that Joel Rifkin are divisive. They're divisive. Really? A lot of people can't agree whether or not are you on Joel's side or not. Me, personally, <laughs> I'm against Joel Ripken only just because I know two other Joels and they're better than him. Okay. And then I got Joel at the deli and oh, he always looks at me. I tell him a little thinner. I need it a little thinner and he always does it. Ooh. I say thinner and he's thinner. just like, like this. I was like, pay thing and he does it pay but thing i was like oh i can see through it and then joel the guy who balled me out my sophomore year in college <laughs> but, but joel rifkin's a bad one it's i agree one. with that absolutely i'm happy you got balled out by a joel in college welcome to last podcast on the left everyone i am ben hanging out with henry and hanging out with marcus we are on to part two of one of Queen's biggest douchebags, which is saying a lot, Joel Rifkin. No, well, technically he belongs more to Long Island. Than okay, he does yeah, Queens. Yeah, yeah. Long <laughs> Island, whatever. And Long Island, sure. Queens. I have to remember before you begin this episode, Long Island 
It's one word. Long Island. And you have to Long Island. Long Island. Hit the guy. Long Island. Long Island. Long Island. Long Island. Now, as we mentioned last episode, when discussing Joel Rifkin's childhood, he could easily be compared to Dennis Rader in that neither of them had any known childhood trauma or abuse, yet still became massive murderous dickheads. I would also compare him to Dennis Rader in the fact that I believe that he had an extremely involved fantasy life that he and Dennis Rader would not talk about. Yeah. They would purposely keep that hidden because I think in their own minds that was their little secret. And I'm going to compare him to Dennis Rader because I think Dennis Rader would hate the comparison so much because these people are such pitiful little schmucks. You know Dennis Rader is like, I'm smarter than him. I could set up a camera by myself well in panties. (laughs) Yeah, yo, Dennis, he says, you know, he sends me letters and I'm just like, oh, why don't you go measure some grass, Dennis? (laughs) Why don't you go catch a fucking dog, Dennis? Oh, Joel! (laughs) Now, one thing you may have noticed about our show is that we use Dennis Rader quite a bit as a sort of serial killer touchstone. And that's not just because he's the serial killer that I personally find the most fascinating. Rather, Dennis Rader gets referenced so much partly because he actively studied other serial killers. Mm. And since he was trying to become one of the most well-known killers in history on par with the Zodiac, he became an amalgamation of those he studied. He really is kind of the proto self-aware serial killer. Yeah. Like, it, like, and he carried that through with him. And he prided himself on that of like learning and adapting, you know, fade away. He's trying to learn how to do the fade away because he can't jump as much from the center line. Learning a lot about sports. Kissel. Absolutely. Great job. <laughs> when you get a little bit older, you have to change your technique. And of course, with Dennis Rader, he got a little punny with it when he put his cereal boxes in the back of trucks and said, get it. I'm a serial killer. And you know what, Ben, with that, I mean, that is making, that is actually, you know, going towards Henry's point is it's postmodern. You know, it's this, he is doing an active comment on serial killing, even though it's fucking stupid and it doesn't yes. really make a lot of sense, but he's yeah, still he's doing this. Yeah, he's a jerk this. off and he's a human fucking wedgie and I hope yeah. he dies in, in his, oh, he, will. he dies he choking his own vomit yeah. or do whatever. I hope he dies of fucking horrible cancer. Yeah. But yes. And as it happens, Joel Rifkin was much the same way. When Rifkin was finally captured, police found news clippings and magazine articles that followed the exploits of Ted Bundy and, more importantly, the Green River Killer. I mean, Gary and fucking Joel are like twins. They are so similar because they're both fucking glassy-eyed dolts that... Oh, don't have talk about like the like the the with the, the the lack of introspection of like the the non thought about life the non examined life mm-hmm. both of them were just like pillars of cement right <laughs> yeah well at the very least remember Gary Ridgway could paint one hell of a truck and Joel Rifkin was good at nothing nothing yeah, yeah. Oh, there Gale, you go Gary had fucking he was a detailer he yeah. had an actual viable skill Joel yeah. Rifkin was an anchor. I'll tell you one thing, that episode of Pimp My Ride where Gary Ridgway was the guest uh, car painter, it got pretty bloody. I put a sex worker in your car so you could sex work while you drive. (laughs) There you go. Wow, it fell apart as soon as we were done shooting. (laughs) See, during Rifkin's reign, the investigation into the Green River Killer murders was the most well-known ongoing serial killer investigation in perhaps the world. Dozens upon dozens of sex workers have been found murdered in the Pacific Northwest over a period of decades, and the identity of the killer, Gary Ridgway, wouldn't be discovered until well after Rifkin was captured. But concerning Rifkin, Joel not only followed the exploits of the Green River Killer, but also imitated him. Here's a direct quote from Rifkin laying out how it was all done. 
He buried one. I buried one. He went from water to land. I went from water to land. He placed one by an airport. I placed one by an airport. He did things at clusters. Me? I did things at clusters. Well, it sounds like you're a bit of a copycat, Joel. Not really original no. whatsoever. <laughs> no. It's an homage. You fucking moron. You know what it wow. is? About, you know what it is about him? Is that Joel Rifkin, though, unlike Dennis Rader, who wanted to be known as this like ultimate predator, yeah. he wouldn't even let the knowledge that he was training himself to be a serial killer in and that he was imitating these things. It wasn't until it was pointed out afterwards when they said, hey, we found these books in your, and he was just like, yeah. And it wasn't until after he started murdering and that he realized it's like, I guess I'm doing what he's doing or whatever. And it's the same like nonchalant, flat delivery of every single thing that he ever talked about about his killing past that like, it's weird. It's it, in its own way. Like it's like he truly was compartmentalized. Yeah. Well, it sounds like he might have been a little bit of a Garfield himself trying to learn through osmosis. <laughs> yep. Yes. Actually, you know what? That's fucked up. Because it's fucked up because you know what? I kind of put him in a little bit. He's way more Odie than he is Garfield. Oh, Odie. <laughs> well, the thing about Dennis Rader and Joel Rifkin is that while they may be known in Wichita, Kansas and New York City, respectively, as boogeymen, and while true crime nerds may study them as well, the average person has no fucking clue who they are. That's because while BTK and Rifkin are notorious, they're still on the B team if we bring our Batman villain scale back into play. Whoa! You got to. Yeah. While Gein and Bundy and Dahmer and Gacy, those are your, those are your Jokers, your Riddlers, your Two Faces, your Mister Freezes. Yeah. BTK and Rifkin, they're more your Killer Crocs. Your clay faces. Scarecrows at best. Yo, Side I'm not going to give Mr. Freeze the A-team. Mr. Freeze oh, yeah, is not dude. an A-team oh, supervillain. Mr. Freeze is A-team. easily, he's easily A-team. Mr. Freeze is he's totally A-team. A-team. Yeah. I don't hey, know went, about that. He's, on the, he's, the, he's the lowest of the A-team. He's the lowest rung of the A-team. But Mr. Freeze, if you read the first trade to Ed Brubaker's Gotham Central, Mr. Freeze can be quite terrifying when he wants to be. And Kissel, your favorite movie, The Batman, the sequel is going to have Mr. Freeze in it. So you better get boned up. So you know, for a fact, it's gonna be you know he's gonna be like a refrigerator salesman or something. You know what I mean, like it's not gonna be what we want, Mister Freeze. Maytag guy, Maytag guy. See if serial killers like Jack Unterweger and Hayden Clark, if they're the first villains Batman beats up in a storyline while he's trying to solve a mystery or prevent a disaster, those guys are the first rungs on the serial killer ladder. Joel Rifkin is the guy that you think is the big bad but is actually still an underling himself. He's like hmm. Scarecrow in Batman Begins. It's not whoa, Scarecrow that's the big bad. It's Ra's whoa. al Ghul that's the big whoa, bad. Whoa, whoa, You fucking <laughs> bastard. You mean tell me I'm some kind of red herring? Got <laughs> yeah, all of this? Red herring. You're red herring. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Well, you're just I'm a red herring. You, you just uh, fucking, that's who we are. Stop that, Honestly, Joel. As a matter of fact, Joel, what if you're I, the red herring? That's <laughs> kind of a cool, that's a, I think about like it. that because fish, fish. They go silently in the water, right? <laughs> right. Visible from the surface. And right? they lay you never eggs. see a fish. No yeah. one can ever see fish. That what is what you, I know. What if you start having leaving little turds at all crime scenes like your little eggs, and then you're the red herring? I'm not ready to talk about the little turds. <laughs> I'm not ready to talk about that. Okay, okay. 
But nevertheless, even though Rifkin doesn't have the zazz of a Dahmer or a Gacy, wannabes are fascinating in their own right for entirely different reasons, partly because they're so desperate to differentiate themselves, even though they all follow the same patterns. You know what it is, is that Rifkin of, like, you know, we cover serial killers. He's kind of like, how do you say it? Like a boilerplate version of a serial killer he's exactly like he's there's not a heck of a lot special about him but he is more identifying that it's a an american phenomena that is going to continue to repeat again and again and that they are all echoes of these original criminals that have became super famous in american like the american style serial killer that has became because like that was created by richard ramirez and jeffrey dahmer he's the alex jones to bill cooper's bill cooper somewhat yeah Yeah. i mean he's he's a dumber copy of a copy yeah, I mean, he's a guy, he's that stereotypical of when he was arrested, you know, oh my God, he was just the nicest man. He was so quiet. They were such a quiet family. Oh my God. They do that. Oh, they were yeah. family. Oh, well, all the, all the ones. I also love the other book I read, I believe it was called Garden of Bones. It was very bad. <laughs> Ooh, that's <laughs> a cool name, involving. though. It was very stupid. Very, very stupid. This doesn't even make any them. sense. Garden, didn't yeah, he didn't bury any of them. No, I'm just so, saying it's a cool garden. Garden. He, buried garden one of of, he, he buried one of them. But that's the thing, Garden of Graves, that doesn't make any Still sense stupid. because he only buried one. And it was a very shallow grave. We'll get to it later. Jesus fucking Christ. Well, Garden of Bones is what I'm calling my barbecue restaurant. (laughs) That's a great name. Not a true crime book. But they keep interviewing all the fuckheads that knew him from his childhood. And they're all like, he was a fucking nerd. And that's like all they can say. Like, well, you know, his pants were too tight. So we had to fucking (laughs) torture him. Like we had to fucking beat the shit out of him. That was the most that hurt. That came up over. That came up again and again and again. It's like, yeah, he wore, his pants were fucking too tight. What do you want us look to do? Look at this guy. Like, look, look at him. Fucking pants guy. too tight. Walking around, begging well, for, begging for abuse. <laughs> it's a little you bizarre. Know what, sure. You know what I think about Joel Rifkin makes him so fascinating to true students of true crime, is the fact that he really is an everyman. Yeah, he's not like Richard Ramirez was born to be evil. Jeffrey Dahmer is this like spooky like he's spooky like it's yeah. this thing you look at him and the he's why a ghost we, man he's a ghost man you don't know we're like like you know you know a joel rifkin we yeah. talked about it in the last episode you know one you've met sure. one. sure well Dahmer, one. don't forget he worked in the chocolate factory and being around that much chocolate for that long numbs the soul because Willy he no longer became special. a slave trader yes he did <laughs> and also when it comes to burying bodies i'm gonna bury men and i'm gonna kill them if they have an eight inch penis and then i'm gonna bury them two inches deep keep the cock hard garden of bones what is this <laughs> What is this? Where is your imagination? Then I'll take a a lawnmower over him. (laughs) It's interesting. It's interesting. Yeah. Boy, that's to to, to spend five minutes in that old cranium of yours. He's been thinking about that for a while, like since we brought up Garden of Bones. Garden of Bones is fantastic. I mean, it's a horrible restaurant because all the food is gone, but whatever. Well, concerning those repeated patterns, after Rifkin dismembered the second woman he murdered, he took possession of her jewelry as a trophy, as many serial killers do. However, Joel maintained that the jewelry wasn't a trophy, even though he said he kept about 80% of the possessions belonging to the women he killed. It's kind of crazy. I watched this interview with him with this FBI profiler, and Hmm. he constantly says like i don't know i just they just said all that shit just ended up in my house like he acts like it's like nonchalant which is why i think he's hiding something because obviously there was a deep dark fantasy life inside of him and he talks about how the first murder replayed in his head 
for every day. Like it replayed and replayed for 18 months. And he said his first excuse was, well, I had to kill again because then it would stop the videotape in my brain. I could put it in a mm. new videotape. Now at least I can watch The Little Mermaid. You know what I mean? I could put <laughs> something little... in there. Now I'm watching old fucking episodes of How Hogan's Heroes. Oh That's my goodness. Well, I That's love those more. That is a funny Nazi. <laughs> but then like he he it's really weird. He professes to have no inner life. Even though yeah. he must. Like it's not an accident that he kept these things. He was fantasizing with them. Of course. I mean they so all do. Was he haunted by the first murder then? Or I think he was sexually watching. excited. He so was, he just he, did he literally just get bored? Like when I had Dawn of the Dead stuck in my VCR when I was in college, loved Dawn of the Dead, but I watched it a thousand times and I was like, I got to get a new thing in here. Yeah, I mean, I, I what he was more haunted by was the fact that sex was no longer doing it for him. You know, yeah. the, and the fact that the, this was replaying again and again and again in his head told him that, oh, this is what does it for me now. This is my mm. this is my whole thing. And like I said last episode, like it, it was annoying to him. You know, it was annoying. Like it like he had to take a new medication or something like, oh, I can't go out in the sun anymore without putting on sunblock. It's oh, one of those. Poor. It's that's how he looked at it. It's like, oh, this is this is an annoying thing that I have to do now. Oh, I got to kill someone to come. Oh, what a fucking hassle honestly he sounds time- like you discussing food marcus <laughs> <laughs> i mean but that is that's the thing about it is like that's how nonchalant he thought of it you know yes. it's like oh i got the i get this there's this extra fucking thing i got to do now Ugh. all right <laughs> all right <laughs> also he said in his head the first time he killed somebody and then killed again he was like this is the first successful thing i've ever done in my life like <laughs> well he, i don't know if that's true own. joel that's what I he said th- and how oh, do you feel, man. Bono? Oh, Yo, wow. your precious sunglasses. Yeah, Somebody else Bono. beat the fucking shit out of you right there, huh? The Mother Teresa of musicians, a scam artist to the core. Scam. Concerning what else Joel Rifkin may have done to the bodies, it was suspected, if not downright assumed, that he had followed in the footsteps of his hero, Ted Bundy, who we Uh-oh. cannot stress enough was a disgusting necrophiliac. Yeah. But when Joel Rifkin was asked point blank if he had engaged in necrophilia at any time, he said that while he had considered it, he never went through with it. This is Which a direct- is how you know he did it. You, <laughs> you know he did it. Well, yeah, I considered it. What yeah. are we talking about? Listen to Listen, a direct. Yeah, this is a direct yeah. quote. Yeah. This Henry's going to read. Henry's going to read this quote. Please judge for yourself. I think Henry might be right on the money on this one. You know, I just remember looking down at her and thinking about it. <laughs> I'm looking at her, and I'm like, nah. That's it. That was a quote. So I'm like, like, you know what's just so funny about that is that like it seems like you were so much closer than most people to committing necrophilia. And the fact that you thought about it makes me think that you don't have as soon as this whole time, I'm like, whoa. He's like, ugh. It's just like now you're all dead here. It just seems like though, like you don't have a lot of impulse control. So I think you thought about it, then you probably did it. No, 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 no. You'll see why it's not impulse control. Because I control every impulse. I could fucking jump out a window if I want. Yeah, that's just self-preservation. That's very basic. (laughs) Well, concerning when Joel had his orgasms, and I'm sure you're all champing at the bit to hear this one. I knew knew how this man from Mm. Long Island comes. (laughs) I always do it. Listen, when it comes to me with coming, I always kiss. Keep it short and sweet. That's what I do. You can see the boar's head on the table as he puts nipples on it. Oh, wow. Well, Joel maintains that he never, quote unquote, finished with a dead body. And he either came during strangulation 
Or not at all. Or he had already come. Yeah. Sometimes it had nothing to do with like the actual sexual act in the moment. It was more of a, a power you move. Like it? Like, you yeah. like it, Kissel? No, because like I can see the deli mayonnaise of cum squirt out of his <laughs> yeah. weird cock. Like oh. I can <laughs> I wish like it his- was more. I tell you what, I, I wish it was more. I should be eating more celery or something. I don't know how these guys get the gallons of it. <laughs> gallons shooting out of them. I'm saving my liquid. If it was a chicken wing side, it would be the blue cheese, I would imagine. <laughs> well, instead, as per Rifkin's interviews with author Robert Mladenich, Rifkin said that he looked at the bodies post-murder as a chore to take care of rather than a sex object. He said, quote, hmm. I looked at it as a job. Like, okay, this is what you got to do now. You do this and that to make it smaller so you can get rid of it. So that's opposite of Dahmer because he did not. That's when the fun started for him. Well, I think he's minimizing. This is the why. Like, this is it's interesting. You see the two types of killers we get all the time. You get the guys that exaggerate and guys like him that don't want you to know his inner private life. He views it as none of your business. Yeah. It's none of your business that I fuck the all fuck these corpses. I wouldn't tell you that. That's between I mean, me and the corpses. Okay? It, does, it does hold up in the positive That's sense privacy. of the long. But the positive sense of the Long Island personality is you get the job done. And I, I mean, and so it kind of Omerta. holds up. It's Omerto. You fucking what, mind your own business. You don't you don't care what I do in my fucking backyard. OK, yeah, I want to put in a fountain. Yeah, baby, it's coming <laughs> over the goddamn fence. But guess yeah, you what? better be careful. You're going to come over here? You're going to stop my fucking fountain? Be careful putting a fountain in. Henry's going to show up and think it's a kiddie pool. That's a funny old bit. <laughs> that's not a, that's funny a true old bit. story. Now, Rifkin abstained from killing for four months after killing Julie Blackbird. But since his mother was going out of town more frequently, obviously enjoying this new fancy-free phase in her life, God. Joel kept bringing sex workers back to their home on Long Island. What is it about women from New York that just long for their husbands to die? They want to do anything. They want to. They can't wait for them to die so they can be free. I'm not sure if it's the men or the women to blame on that one. I don't know who's who's worse. And from what Rifkin said, he had no particular plans to kill any of the women he brought back to his house. And he certainly had no, well, excuse me, to his mother's house. It was not Joel's house. It was his mother's house. Yes, thank you. Makes it so much lamer. Yeah, and he certainly had no plans, he claimed, when he committed his next murder, that of 31-year-old Barbara Jacobs. From Rifkin's memory, murder simply occurred to him in the moment, and he acted. Joel said that he and Barbara were watching TV when Barbara fell asleep, and while she dozed, Joel began to go back and forth as to whether he could and or should kill her. This is the exact crux, because everyone keeps asking, oh, they, 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 they put it on him. They're like, you do this for control. And he's like, no, no, no. He would insist that the women had control because that is his control mechanism. Like, that's what people don't understand is that he viewed the women as control. So him murdering them was, quote unquote, him taking his control back. So he thought that he would do it. And it was about the deliberation about whether or not I'm going to kill this unsuspecting person. Like, it was about me controlling their destiny. You can just see him going to the old jukebox there hitting D7. Should I stay or should I go now? <laughs> should I stay? And then he says, you know How what? dare you? Do you think that How that's what song, that song sure, is about? I have no idea what that song is about. I think it's about going to the bathroom. Um, I have no <laughs> idea. But um, I'm sure that he did have some bizarre songs that he would play in Ritual. 
Yeah, I, you probably know, he never, a lot of Billy Joel. Yeah, yeah. actually, it's, it's going to be a lot of Billy Joel. And yeah, Bruce. Like if, you know yeah. Bruce is making his way in there. No, I, dude, I, you know how many I times? I don't think it would I, be Bruce. I think he's going Piano mm, Man. He's not and going it's just Jersey. piano over and over <laughs> and over. Not, he's not going Jersey. No, 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 no. He's no. Long Island. No, he's not no, he's, going Jersey. He says, fuck Bruce Springsteen. What? And he says, like, Billy Joel, because you know how many times he listened to Moving Out. And it was just like, yeah, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> My, yeah, I'm going to be doing that soon. Yeah, Joel, please get out of here, Joel. <laughs> I actually have got a... I've been doing gigs. <laughs> okay, I'll Joel. There, no, if Joel Rifkin was still out, if he hadn't have gone to jail, he'd be saving up money to go to those Billy Joel Madison Square Garden gigs <laughs> at least like once a year. Like every October, he goes to see Billy at the garden. I just got to be there because I know he's there for me. Yeah, I gotta is. be there for him. Oh, mama. <laughs> well, finally, when Joel was here at his mother's house with this sex worker, he decided to just do it, and he struck Jacobs while she was sleeping. She immediately woke up and fought back, but after they wrestled on the floor for a bit, Rifkin gained the upper hand and strangled her to death. But as to the business of dismemberment, Joel found that he either no longer had the stomach for it or, most likely, knew that he didn't have to actually go to the trouble. Hmm. After dragging the body down to the basement as he had the last two, he said, quote, For some reason, I could not do it. I mean, I had everything to do it, but, uh, you know, I didn't start. I got to the point where I was I was ready to cut. I had the knife in my hand. And I'm looking at the body and eh, I'll come back and do this later. The eh is in the quote. Like, literally, <laughs> like, this is how he fucking <laughs> talked. Like, and you know what I think truly I think he's fucking lazy. Yeah, yeah I think that's real part of it. possible. I mean, well, he starts off. I think he's always thinking about what is the amount of least resistance because he does think at first, like, yeah, I got to cut up these bodies uh, and put all the body parts in different locations, and you know, and then right. the next one he's like, okay, I got to put encase them in cement and put them in different locations, and then by the third one, it's like. Ah, fuck it. Let's just yeah. throw her in the goddamn river. Who gives yeah, a shit? So he's already getting, um, I guess, as Ted Bundy would say, uh, you yeah, sometimes you lose the crowbar. Where you put the, uh, the so lug it nuts. seems also that it's becoming pretty blasé already. He always pretty, was. So yeah. he has no joy in having the corpse around. He doesn't like no, to dismember it. He doesn't like to have sex with it. Apparently, he'll throw, God knows what happened. But that's very, so he's not a product killer whatsoever. Not, not at all. And, and that's the thing. He's killer. even, he's barely a process killer like, i don't yeah. get the joke i don't like, that's uh, the weird thing about this guy i don't think he i, I just don't understand well, why that's he what to me people. actually makes him truly very frightening in a way yeah where like he felt nothing he felt absolutely nothing it was about he just kind of operated in his mind like almost unconsciously he was doing these things and then it became rote he viewed it in his own mind as muscle yeah. memory he's like now i just do this or i don't do this this is like yeah, a part of my right. process. And he's, a, I mean, he's a, he's not a nice guy, Kissel. Yeah. Oh, I see. I see. So Joel left the body in the basement for a few hours while he decided what to do and finally settled on simply dumping the body in the river. After the body was wrapped in plastic, Joel packed it in a large cardboard box, loaded it into his mother's Toyota sedan because his truck was broken down and dumped the box in the Hudson near a cement processing plant. 
Immediately after dumping the body, Rifkin drove south into the city and picked up a girl in Manhattan for oral sex in the car. In his mother's sedan, no less. Hey, he's got more room. Because he's got the <laughs> handicap. No. He's got the handicap bucket. Yeah. So I can really, I can really <laughs> spread out back there. Wow. So he's accelerating, it sounds. Mm-hmm. By the time he was done, Rifkin heard on the radio that the body he just dumped had already been found oh hours God. later. But instead of the panic he'd felt before, he said the radio report didn't phase him at all. In this, he was actually correct in thinking that he had nothing to worry about because Barbara Jacobs' body, like many others, it wasn't even identified until Joe Rifkin himself named her after his capture. Now, going back to Henry's observation that Joel Rifkin only preyed on the most invisible women, the ones closest to the end of the road, I think that the murder of Barbara Jacobs reinforces that opinion. See, Rifkin said that he kept bringing women back to his Long Island home for months after Julie Blackbird, but he didn't kill any of them, despite the fact that he killed the first two women who had stepped foot into his mother's house. Boom, one, two. I think that Joel was basically interviewing these women that he brought back afterwards to see how far removed from society they really were. And when he met Jacobs, someone who had no real ties, he struck, knowing that the likelihood of mere identification, much less capture, was extremely low. And again, remember his his validation always was like they were going to die anyway. They were already close. It was this thing like he viewed himself as like, I'm just finishing a job that was already done. And he's a he's a you know, he's a fucking parasite. Right. Yeah. Yeah, He's like he views himself as a guy that's walking around a food court eating other people's half eaten meals. Like, "Ah, they're just going to be thrown away anyway. So, you know, fuck it. What does it matter? That's how he thinks of it, at least. Okay. Now, on the night of Joel's next murder, about a month and a half later, he said that the urge to kill wasn't particularly strong and that he was more interested that night in what he called window shopping. In Joel's world, window shopping meant spending his night driving around and chatting with sex workers, basically wasting their time. Yes, it's called wasting people's time. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes he'd hire them on nights like this and sometimes he wouldn't. Most of the time he he wouldn't. I was addicted to the night. Yeah. And I was up there, and oh, I look at that moon up there, and I said, oh, that looks like a big rock. And I love the night, because that's when, oh, you go out there, and everybody, everything's dark. Yeah, it is. It's fun, it's in the, a way. It's, it's like nighttime. you're always surprised by your own eyeballs. I love <laughs> yeah. the nighttime, because I, I have astigmatism. Uh. And I really can't see a lot, because as soon as it gets about 7 p.m. Right. But on the nights that Joel ventured into the city looking for company, whether he was planning to hire them or not, he had a regular route that hit some of New York City's best-known strolls. Strolls, by the way, those are areas in which a man had his pick of sex workers plying their trade on the street. Apparently, Ryder and Etha over here uh, in Long Island City, like near where I am, the one of the biggest strolls in Long Island City was Ryder and Etha Ed Catch Bridge. Oh, really? I yeah. love to go get blown under the Ed Cock Bridge. The thing about a stroll. It's what I always imagine it as like two people holding hands, like flipping coins in Atlanta, like a stroll. I guess it's better than a red light district because that's also like a little too official, I think, for a lot of these places. 
Well, a red light district is, you know, it's a place with stores and people and businesses. Like red strolls, lights. from what it sounds like with strolls, like they're empty lots. They're out yeah. of the way places. They're places where nobody else goes. They're just kind of night after night taken over uh, by this, you know, I guess uh, I guess you'd call the soft white underbelly. Mm. Can we actually change it to from stroll to trudge? <laughs> That it's a trudge it's to a go trudge. out there. Yeah. I believe that to be true. Well, let's take a bit of a ride along with Joel Rifkin on an Ooh. average night of window shopping. Oh, awesome. I'm so excited to be in this car with you. we're in Allentown. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Nick, closing all the factories down. Yeah, Billy. I can't hey, Joel, believe can you, they're uh, shutting it down. They're shutting it down. And nobody can work anymore. Nobody wants to work. Can you roll down the window, man? It smells real bad in this car. It smells so like that's you my killed juke. a woman. No, no, that's oh. my juke. Don't worry about that. That's your ju- Oh, you're wearing juke. Okay. Well, the first stroll Joel would hit was around the Belmont Park horse track in Queens, which worked as his entrance into the five boroughs from the Hempstead Turnpike coming from Long Island. Yep. From there, Joel hopped on Jamaica Avenue, which is a major artery in Queens containing multiple strolls. My fucking city, dude. That's my yeah. Yeah. town, dude. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh, yeah, Jamaica. Yeah, Jamaica Avenue. It runs through half a dozen neighborhoods from Queens Village down to Woodhaven. <laughs> you know what made uh, me pissed? As I looked up a thing that has, like, you know, every, like, the famous person from any, the most famous person from any city. Mm-hmm. You know, fucking Woodhaven, number one famous person. Who? Donald Trump's fucking father. Yeah. Oh, Yeah. Interesting. It yeah. wasn't this the. Is where he's uh, it from. wasn't he's the Queen's it, trash. It wasn't the white clumps, <laughs> aka the Zabrowski family. No. No. Yeah, no. I'm always gonna have to contend with the fact that the from my fucking home county, Haskell County, it's always gonna be Rick Perry. Always. <sighs> oh, Jesus that doesn't count. Christ. He's a douche. Whatever. That that doesn't work. Nah. Uh, my Stevens Point, Wisconsin. I got RoboCop. Yeah, Peter oh, Weller. Peter yeah. Weller. Peter yeah, Weller. No, he's always going to be number one. You don't, you don't mind losing that's to a, Peter Weller. I mean, that's that's Peter yeah. Weller. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he's RoboCup. He shot, it all, he shot a bunch of dicks off. Yeah. <laughs> well, at Woodhaven, though, Jamaica Avenue meets Atlantic Avenue, which Ooh. bisects the Brooklyn neighborhoods of Bed-Stuy and Crown Heights, where Joel found even more strolls on this particular five-mile stretch. If nobody satisfied Joel in Brooklyn... At the end of Atlantic Avenue, or at least near the end of Atlantic Avenue, he'd take Flatbush Avenue north to the BQE. Yeah. <laughs> BQE, baby. Yeah, All right, BQ- Henry, <laughs> none of this is a compliment to you. These are roads, most of which have massive potholes and are difficult right. to navigate. Yeah, Atlantic you, Avenue is the worst fucking street to drive down in New York City. It's it awful. Like I hate in, Atlantic in, I Avenue. I love it. That's my fucking city, <laughs> No, you city, don't. Dude. You don't even love it. Not, you're a high I lived over there. I lived over there fucking in Bed-Stuy off of Atlantic Ooh. Avenue for five fucking years. You didn't live over there. You didn't I live there. I didn't want there. to. I didn't want to because I grew up there and I knew what it was like. But you know, this is the thing is you guys never been to see, again, Billy Joel at MSG because he breaks down when he's doing New York State of Mind. He calls out all the counties and places from like in Queens and Brooklyn and everyone just yeah. goes, oh, that's what I'm from Howard Beach. Man, you really can't get that Queens trash out of the Queens boy. I'm not wearing any clothes right now. We know. Well, out of downtown Brooklyn, Joel would get on the BQE. He'd take it up north to the Williamsburg Bridge. He'd take the Williamsburg Bridge across directly into Manhattan, 
which is where the majority of the women he murdered were picked up. You know what, Henry? I actually have to apologize because as soon as Marcus said Williamsburg Bridge, I was like, right. now that's my town. That's I was my like, town. 15 years, Williamsburg Bridge. I used to bike on never bike. I used to walk <laughs> no, over it. Like, you used to look no at biking. it from an Uber. I used to look yeah, at it. Yeah. All right, I, I get it. Now there's a little pride it. that goes with it. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah, we already went through past bed. We went past Bed-Stuy. Bed-Stuy, that was mine. Yeah. But it's a thing. Once he got into Manhattan... There was a whole new network of strolls to go past. He'd start in the Lower East Side near the foot of the bridge at a stroll on Allen and Forsyth, right there where the Lower East Side starts turning into Chinatown. Then, if he didn't see anything he liked there, he'd turn north to 42nd Street and find a stroll a couple of avenues away from Times Square near Port Authority. Oh. <laughs> it's getting real dark now. Yes, it's real it dark. Is. Yeah. And finally, he'd loop back south near the Javits Convention Center on the west side, which I did, that's where Comic-Con is every year. I didn't yeah. know Javits Center used to be like a huge stroll for sex workers. Oh, that's where you used to get fucking shot in the head, dude. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. it's all all of these places were really, really rough during this time period. And he'd do this same circle every night. Yeah, wow. well, not so necessarily like every circuit. night, but as many nights. When he had gas money, he'd fucking do it. It's this huge circuit. Then after Javits Center, he'd cut back down Manhattan, and then mm. he'd go back to the East Village across First and Second Avenues for a couple of more strolls. And finally, if he found no one of interest or no one within his meager price range, he'd hit the Jamaica Avenue stroll in Queens one last time before heading home. This entire Jesus. trip, he said, like this entire circuit, be about four hours. I was going to say yeah. that takes forever. Well, it's how he spent his whole night. He's doing it in the middle of the night. There's no traffic at that time. So that's, you know, a, that's, you could probably make that full circuit, not stopping in an hour, hour and a half, like probably Jeez. an hour and a half. But he stopped a lot. Isn't the term edging or gooning like there's a term about like you build yourself gooning. up to just being hard for edging. a long period of time. And like, that's what he do. Like, yeah. that's that's kind of what he would do. And he was just as into the interview stage. We talked about this. He was it was it was weird of all of the killers. It's really never been about the sex. It's about the he felt like he was a known quantity in all of these places where everybody else. He was just a fucking just an annoying fuck. Like, they yeah. just looked at him. They Everybody hated him in this yeah. direct area. But then right. he'd show up there and he'd be big man on campus. Sure. Well, I mean, I would I argue that not Actually, everyone did hate know. him. People, like, because yeah. there's so many people that, like, every once in a while he'd connect with someone. Because they always, yeah. there was no shortage of people that would say, like, yeah, I knew Joel. He was he fine. Like, yeah, he's fine. <laughs> like, yeah, it was just, it'd be, he was fine. Yeah, I fucked Joel. I fucked Joel a couple of times. I blew Joel a couple of times. Fine. Yeah, he's fine. Whoa, he's a fun guy. He, whoa, Mr. Anderson. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to fuck him all the time. He was fine. He's a good, uh, good guy. Oh, good guy. He's a good guy. Yeah. Well, for that stroll, that's over on the east side. That's 53rd and 3rd. Oh, that's okay. a whole oh, yeah. That's different, where the Ramones yeah. were. Yeah, that's oh. where Dee, Dee was. That's where Robert Maplethorpe was a time or two when he was in his phase. There's a lot of stuff going on at 53rd and 3rd, but that's also in the 70s. It's a whole different time period. Fantastic. But even though the Queen stroll was Joel Rifkin's Sorry, Henry. It was his least favorite stroll. The hey, Queen stroll was do? his least favorite. <laughs> what are you do? It was here on September 1st, 1991, that Joel picked up the next woman he would murder, Mary Ellen DeLuca. Now, Mary Ellen suffered from addiction like many of the women Joel killed. So therefore, Joel claimed that before they were able to do any business, he had to drive around with her for 10 
hours oh. looking for her drug of choice, Shoo. which highly annoyed Joel. I also don't know if this is true because I do not believe it would take you 10 hours to find any drug in New York City in 1991. Maybe I 10 he, minutes. Uh, he's just an asshole. I think yeah. that this is really like he got mad that she was like making him drive around. And then right. he had this thing too, because well, how do we talk about it? He set up these factors that he then would, it would make it quote unquote inevitable for him yeah. to kill the people. Just being like, well, she's not respecting me. Still respecting my time, like we're here doing mm -hmm. this thing, and then she wants to go run around and do all this stuff. Like he always has these excuses of yeah. why this one had to be murdered. Yeah. But on this occasion, Joel, perhaps emboldened by the fact that he killed three women and hadn't come close to an investigation, he stepped outside of his comfort zone for the first time. Instead of taking DeLuca back to his mother's house, he brought her to a seedy motel in a strip mall in Long Island, a few miles from his home in East Meadow. Now, after Mary Ellen scored some drugs, Joel rented a room. But DeLuca said that she needed to get high before they got down to business. Yeah. But once they did, Joel claimed that she acted bored and kept asking, are you done yet? Are you done yet? Are you done yet? Over and over and over again. I mean, I don't know if Joel was a regular Peter North. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't this know. is really the time to, expect, to have like a romantic encounter. Yeah. This, of course, agitated Joel, if it is indeed true. But I do actually think that what came next might well have at least a kernel of truth. And if it is true, it's about the saddest fucking serial killer story I've ever heard. This is the first time I would put a trigger warning for how sad, for how sad this is. It's incredibly wow. sad. Joel said that after the sex, DeLuca kept going on and on about how much she hated life and how she just wanted it to be over. And after Joel said he asked her several times if she wanted to die, and after she said yes each time, Joel climbed on top of her and strangled her without a second thought. Rifkin said that while he was strangling her, DeLuca did nothing and simply accepted it, making her allegedly the only one who didn't resist. In other words, it sounds to me as if DeLuca died from suicide by serial killer, just as someone might die from suicide by cop. Dang. And then again, you never really know with Joel because he's so he's a serial full killer? of shit. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's he's what I mean. He's not but the most reliable source. But maybe, no, not, he's maybe not. not. There's something to, there's something that he said, because again, it's all about. He had a very distinctly photographic memory about each one of these encounters because he'd replay it over and over and over and over again. And I think in a way it kind of in his thing, it was like, and that was a good one I did because I ended a misery. Like he acted mm -hmm. like that where he right. was like, and she asked for it and I delivered. I did what she needed. And it was just, and it's just obviously it's sort the of the, uh, it's kind of the season of the witch. Uh, for his little VHS collection. It doesn't really fit into the Halloween lore, um, <laughs> oh, but yet it stands the, oh, alone. Oh, oh, so it stands alone as a murder. It's to just, Halloween it's, 3, which I actually really enjoy. <laughs> no, I enjoy it does, Halloween. It's just not Halloween. That was the problem. Yeah. Um, so this one doesn't really fit in with his with his overall theme. <laughs> the fucking bastard. <laughs> the overall yeah. 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 
Well, it just seems like a lot of people were really sad back then. I mean, it, yeah, yeah, they still are, but I look at pictures from my childhood and no one is smiling. And I don't remember <laughs> anything. I don't remember all the whole years of it. Yeah. And it's like right. no one's happy. Everything yeah. is just, you know, everyone's got like I, I remember getting my starter jacket when I got the giant starter jacket. I remember being happy then. That's I nice. remember getting the Ghostbusters firehouse. I was happy yeah. then. That's awesome. Which yeah. team? Which team was the starter jacket? Was it Knicks? Mets? New York Giants. Giants. Oh, Giants. Okay, cool, cool. Not bad. It holds Not up. Not bad. Yeah, it does. I got the Apex jacket <laughs> for the for the Washington Football Club. Mm. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> what are they called now? The Commanders? I think it's called, yeah, the Commandants or something. The, 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 I think they're the Washington, D.C. caterers now. Yeah. Incredible. Isn't that at bizarre? least honoring caterers and how hard that they would work. That would be nice. Mm. But either way, after the murder, Joel, inspired again by the Hitchcock movie Frenzy, he drove to Kmart and bought a steamer trunk to dispose of DeLuca's body, just as the killer in the movie had done. But since this was Joel's first murder outside his own home, he was a little awkward about it and figured that he needed to make a show to the motel clerk who most likely <laughs> barely registered Joel's existence. Do you know how many people went in there to, to murder sex workers? Like, Seriously. He's seen it. You know he's what I mean? Seen like it. He's, he's seen, seen it all. Seen it. But he acted like he needed to be like Mr. Bean or something. Like he needed to like, oh, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to have to sneak my way out of here. Yeah, dog and pony show. It's a seedy hotel attached to a strip mall. Yeah. I can't imagine that anyone that goes and spends the night doesn't die. <laughs> well, Rifkin brought pieces of empty luggage besides the steamer trunk. He bought him in, brought him in and out of the room again and again and again. He's going to the fucking Polar Express. <laughs> Why is he bringing trunks of luggage like he's like he's Madame Blavatsky traveling yeah. from fucking India to the United States? He's bringing in suitcases. He's bringing in backpacks, just like back and forth. I guess he's trying oh, to I confuse forgot. the clerk. I got clerk. my suit bags and he had, oh my trombone case. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, like in the middle of all this, like to mix up, he brings the steamer trunk with the body inside past the front desk. He then goes back and has a whole conversation with the clerk about, yeah, I'm just, I'm just moving some stuff upstate. You know me? Uh, you know, That's what I'm doing. I'm actually the new DA. <laughs> go to Rockland County, new DA, new DA of Rockland County. That's me. I'm just moving upstate. That's what I'm doing. That's me. Oh my god! <laughs> Meanwhile, the clerk is just like, just kill her and get her out of here. I don't. <laughs> yes, I have another victim coming through. Do you need help through. with this body, sir? Do you need help with the body. <laughs> I'm an overnight clerk at a strip mall hotel. <laughs> and as it was, Joel did indeed move the body upstate. He drove the corpse up near West Point and left the body at a picnic area near a hot dog truck, but kept the steamer trunk so he could use it again in the future. And even though DeLuca's family did look for her, police upstate didn't make the connection because of the massive amount of bodies popping up in and around New York City. Jeez. West Point ain't that far from here. Therefore, Mary Ellen DeLuca was buried as a Jane Doe and wasn't identified again until Rifkin confessed in 1993. Also, for those wondering what a steamer trunk is, no, it is not a trunk just full of other people's farts. It is the thing that has all of your family quilts in it. Because I, I was like, what if the you fuck got is a steamer trunk? Yeah, yeah that's what yes. we have. That's, it's, yeah. oh, it's that. 
If I were to think a steamer trunk in a dirty way, I would think it was a a, a trunk full of turds. Turds, yeah. yeah. But fully formed turds. You know, (laughs) long ones. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, now that I'm on probiotics, so nice. Yeah, so so nice. nice. Now it's just like one tube. I get one tube. Isn't Coiled. that fantastic? Yeah. I love the the Colgate like asshole that you currently <laughs> develop. Comes out like a star. Is that wow. That's horrible. Horrible, actually. Live from your grave. A roast as dark as the night, perfect for fueling the cryptid research and mad ravings required for your podcasting. Don't mind the red eyes. He's just trying to warn you of the bridge. The bridge. Finally, from the caffeine-addled brains of Spring Hill Jack Coffee and last podcast on the left, we bring you Mothman's Red Eye Blend. Yes, delicious Panama beans. Go to lastpodcastmerch.com to order yours today. <laughs> My sister is the best gift giver I've ever met of any person. It's Jackie Zabrowski. She shops all year thinking about her family and friends and puts little things aside for their birthdays and Christmases. I have no idea how she does it. I don't know how she do it, but guess what? She always wins Mother's Day, but not this year. I'm coming back. Ready to win Mother's Day and cement your reputation as the best gift giver in the family? I'm taking the crown. All right, give the moms in your life an Aura digital picture frame preloaded with decades of family photos. I mean this. We have the Aura frame up in my home. We absolutely love it. I can put photos on it very, very easily through the app. It's fun to do, and the memories keep cycling, and I get emotional, and we filled it with pictures of Carmi and Wendy, and that is not sad. That is celebratory, so you should try it. It's honestly a really good product. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code LEFT at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It says here I have to talk about something I need to get off my chest, and I guess I can share it here. I I eat mayonnaise for fun. It's a hobby of mine, and it's an addiction. It's a daily weight on my life. How much I need whipped egg whites and oil crammed into my veins as soon as I wake up and a lot of people carry around a lot of different stressors big and small some people are presidents some people are soldiers some people have to eat mayonnaise especially with hard-boiled eggs which is what I eat for lunch but I guess I should share that in therapy because therapy is a safe place to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down and what I do is I just add eggs if I have mayonnaise left over I just continue to add the eggs. But if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I hope they can help me. My God. I hope they can help me. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash LastPod today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash LastPod. One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list. If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off the list with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors. It's a waste. Don't waste hours on apps. 
besides appetizers. That's the kind of apps I like. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Did you know that empanada is already Spanish? I didn't. Thanks, Babbel. Did you know that burrito is already Spanish? Wow. I just got to learn all the rest. And eventually, I'm going to be eating downtown Mexico. Thanks, Babbel. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash left. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash left, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash L-E-F-T. Rules and restrictions may apply. Now, concerning Joel's quote-unquote urge to kill, he downplayed everything about it, saying that it was a small percentage of his daily life. Particularly, he said, quote, Hey, there's no transmorphing into a werewolf or anything like that. Like the Sykes and the prosecutors want to portray, to use a cliche, uh, it was kind of like a bolt of lightning or whatever. It was that element. I mean, it's just random choice. Um, if like I'm gonna say if like 10% of your day is like I wanna kill, that's like a lot. <laughs> it's still like a bunch of time. Yeah. Hey, that hey, come on. I have a busy life. I gotta go yeah? pretend to run a lawn mowing business. Then I gotta listen <laughs> on my mother say, Go get cold cuts at the store. Right. Man, yeah. So yeah, I took a little mental vacation every day. <laughs> so uh, now you're gonna sue me? You're going to fucking arrest me because I'm taking a little vacation. It was the murders. It's mostly the murders. I'm re- I really wish I could do math because I would like, because you're awake for what? Most people are awake for what? 18 hours a day? 16 hours a day? Something 16, like that. 16, 18, something like yeah, that. 16, yeah, 16, 18. And like, if you're, and if you're thinking about murder for 2% of that, I wonder how many minutes that is. Okay. 18 times 60. 1,080. Time I don't think this point. is going to work, Henry. I think it works. 108 Time. minutes a day. <laughs> so That's a lot of time. One full one too long horror movie <laughs> is your life. Okay. <laughs> now, while Joel maintains that staving off the urge to murder wasn't that big of a deal during the first five murders, the urge increased exponentially with each one, as it often does with serial killers, the law of diminishing returns. In fact, Joel actually gave himself credit for not murdering anyone in the weeks after DeLuca's death, even though he really, really wanted to. Somebody give me credit. Come on. Come on. This is the back of the day, because I knew, you know, like those Snackwell's cookies, man. They're Mm -hmm. diet cookies, but I'll eat a whole sleeve in one go. Uh (laughs) And I think it's a lot of styrofoam. I think that's where microplastics started. (laughs) But as he later said, his willpower would eventually wane, and he compared his eventual weakening to something as mundane as breaking a New Year's resolution. He said, quote, Resolutions with the full intention of like, yes... This here is my last cigarette where I'm going to exercise every day. And you exercise (laughs) for about two weeks, three weeks, and then you stop. You find an excuse, and you start again for one or two more days. That's how he saw serial killer. That's how it is. That's just how it is. Oh, I see. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, oh, I got to fucking cut down on my candy intake. But next thing I know, I'm killing another woman. Yeah, named Candy, (laughs) perhaps. Yeah, I don't think that these things are really equivalent. No, I feel like, say, you know, if you if you accidentally have a cigarette and oh, he's full yeah. of shit. I see. 
But the more that Joel murdered, the easier it was to commit the act. And the next victim, Yoon Lee, was actually someone that Joel sort of knew and had visited multiple times. This murder, Joel said, was the only one he regretted because he actually liked her. But that's the thing. I don't think that he regretted killing her because he liked her. I think he regretted killing her because he couldn't go to her anymore. He couldn't yeah, bring her for sex anymore idiot because she's dead. Yes. Now, Joel said that they first drove to a parking lot to do business, but when Joel couldn't get an erection, he blamed it on there being too many people around with too much happening. I can't get hard. There's too many people. I can't get hard. When Marcus says business, of course, this was the invention of Krispy Kreme. And what they were able to do with the donut to (laughs) make it the first investors investors Mm. meeting. Yes. But when they went to a different location to no avail when it came to an erection, Joel strangled Lee simply because he was agitated. Yeah, yeah he and said that, also, he he then blamed me. He's like, well, I had just had gotten a blowjob two hours before yeah, and he couldn't do it. But then it's also weird. He also said when th- this is weird, he said when he was strangling her, she said, and this is real. She mouths, you're making a big mistake. This is a big mistake. And in his mind, he was like, maybe it's because she liked me. That was like his response. So it was like, oh, maybe yeah, it's, it's because she, about she said about losing me, her favorite customer. Oh, my God, Joel. I don't think that's the case, buddy. I'm a good customer. I don't know if that's true. It seems like you're strangling this woman. Every Duncan in the tri-state area knows me. You know what I like? I like like tuna. I don't like any of the bread. I just like a cup of it. You get and tuna like from a, nice a Dunkin' Donuts. cup of coffee with it. Mm. You get, you get the Dunkin' Donuts tuna? Oh, yeah, buddy. Tuna and hot coffee. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what I call I call that the lieutenant special <laughs> That is absolutely disgusting Well after killing you It's the worst fucking Can you imagine sitting I can't. down Can I you imagine don't sitting down on the train Next to a guy who has a fucking oh cup of tuna God. And hot coffee hot oh, The too. hottest <laughs> coffee <laughs> Well, after killing Yoon Lee, he drove the body back to East Meadow, still lying in the passenger seat, to a lot Joel had rented. See, even though Joel had been having a bear of a time finding a job following his firing from Record World, he had tried to start a landscaping business of a sort. Once you own four lawnmowers, Uh the business begins itself. (laughs) Um, And then uh, it turns out it doesn't, because he was very bad. I don't know if you guys guessed that he might be extremely bad at running a business at lawn care. Yeah, I yeah. can see that not because it's incredibly out difficult work. It's hot yeah, it is. work. Yeah. It's, you can't just be a lazy fuck and yeah. do the work. He just didn't show up. He just wouldn't show up to mow people's uh, fucking lawns. That's what the guy from the New York Ska Jazz Ensemble said, is he that they hired him, he just wouldn't come up. Excuse me, let me just, I'm sorry, let me take a, let me put the trumpet down, because it's so important. That's just what I show you again. That's what I do. That's what I do. Look at my shirt. He actually is also wearing the shirt. In the, in the, He's wearing the shirt. That's my favorite part, is where you wore the New York Ska Jazz Ensemble shirt during the interview. You just gotta make sure Fucking pump it. Always be pumping. Always be hustling, bro. No Always bad press. Yeah. My thing is, I wish Joel could learn the lesson that Scott teaches us all. If you don't show up, nobody's going to skank for you. Absolutely you know I mean? not. You got to be the skank in your group. You got to stop the skank. But nevertheless, Joel found a way to turn the lot that was supposed to be for a career into something for his hobby. 
See, the lot had a storage shed, which was where Joel had stored the steamer trunk he'd used to transport the body of Mary Ellen DeLuca. Once Joel arrived at the shed, he put the steamer trunk into the bed, carried Yoon Lee's body from the front seat, placed it in the trunk, and drove it to a rocky hillside in the South Bronx. There, Joel tossed the trunk into the Harlem River near what was then the Triborough Bridge, but is now the RFK, even though everyone still calls it the fucking Triborough Bridge. Because it All is right. the Triborough Bridge. <laughs> always Fuck fucking RFK will be bridge. the Triborough Bridge. Always, always will, will be. be. You know, they still have, there's still one sign that I know some asshole just refuses to replace. I it's absolutely. just there's one sign that still says Triborough Bridge. Absolutely. RFK. I never like bridges that are named after people who died in tragedy. It just seems like a <laughs> yeah, bad omen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't I know. Would just yeah. be successful, Pete. Yeah. Like I'm gonna have yeah. a real hard time if we ever have like a Kobe Bryant bridge. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I don't. I just it needs to be somebody who died in his sleep at 99. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm starting no, to think this this old guy, the old chimney sweep fella. There, he's 98. He's got a young girlfriend. She's 70. What's yeah. the name of that dude? You got the old skeleton teeth. He's still around. Guy, I could just, from your Bud Light description of Dick Van Dyke. Dick Van Dyke. I'm so wrong. I just can't. Just, wow. 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 I, that one did not. One of the biggest, biggest Dick Van Dyke. entertainers in history in America. The Dick Van Dyke Dyke. Oh, that'd be good. It actually works. Oh, it does. No, no. Give me a Major Deegan any day. Just a man. Major no. Deegan? Yeah, the Major Deegan Expressway. It's up near the RFK in the Bronx. You take that, you get off the RFK and you get on the Major Deegan Expressway. It's how you get out, out of the city. Get upstate. Well, yeah, we need the Betty White Desalinization Center. <laughs> oh, that would be great. Get the salt out. Get the salt out. <laughs> well, pretty soon, though. Lee's body came free from the trunk and floated downstream, where oh. it was fished out of the water between East 123rd Street and Randall's Island, not too far from the dumping site. Now, after Lee, the gloves were off when it came to how casually Rifkin killed women. Where his first few murders were remembered in detail, Joel doesn't even remember the name of the sixth woman he killed, picked up at the stroll near Port Authority on 46th and 8th. Number six, as she's still known today, was killed quickly and without even the pretension of provocation, and her body was stored in the landscaping lot under a tarp for later disposal. After Joel went home and took a nap, he returned that afternoon to stuff the corpse into a 55-gallon drum from a recycling plant, which was the method that would supplant his previous disposal M.O. for the next few murders. I mean, he acts like me after eating too much barbecue. He just totally. goes to take a nap and just like nothing. Like, I didn't just murder this woman. I'll he take is, care of it later. He oh, feels God. Nothing. He really feels nothing. Yeah. It, I mean, really. You know, I bet that's a pretty apt. To, that's a pretty astute observation because it really it's he sees it with the same uh, weight as I'll do the dishes in the morning. You know, I am like, actually and especially ugh. now I realize, especially after watching that interview with him, with the, with the FBI guy, I think he did it for the fantasy like mm. it's the opposite it's like he doesn't do it to have the body he doesn't do it because he loves the act of murder necessarily i think he does love the act of murder and he doesn't like to talk about it too much i think he right. likes the power he gets he must I think he likes it for the video play afterwards in his brain well he likes it because Ugh. he's a man who kills like he yeah. likes being he he just I'm likes that guy i'm, I'm that guy yeah, I'm a murderer. You know, it's like you you people don't know this about me. I'm a murderer. I kill people. I'm a crazy you you can guy. fuck with me all you want, but what you don't know is that I could kill you at any moment because I've killed somebody else. But well, yes. I don't think you could kill me. I'm a grown man. It doesn't seem no, like you really. No, he can't kill you. No, he can only kill very people. sick. 
You exactly. literally kill a very sick woman very late at night. Exactly. Yeah. No, it's a security blanket. That's all it is. Yeah. Mm. Well, after putting the body in the drum, he drove both back to the South Bronx to a spot where people routinely abandon cars and unusable parts from local chop shops. And here's where Joel almost got caught for the first and only time until he was arrested. Wow. Just after Rifkin pushed the 55-gallon drum containing a murder victim into the water, he turned around to see two cops who were responding to a call that someone was doing illegal dumping. Thinking quickly, Joel said, I, I ain't dumping, I'm scavenging. And that's what he said. He's like, I'm not dumping, I'm scavenging. Technically, I'm clearing the litter. You don't know this yet, but there's a movie that's going to come out called Wally. <laughs> I am like Wally. I like that guy. You don't know that yet, but but you could see the two cops just Ugh. looking at this fucking shamul <laughs> as he's like, because he's like, you know me. I only. They're like, oh yeah, that's what you're doing. And he's like, listen, he, this is the excuse he gave to the cops. I'm. I just lie so much. Truly, I lie so much. I'm a scavenger. I'm a. I'm, this is what I do. So I forget what I'm doing half the time. Yeah, and then when the cops were kind of dubious about it, he picked up a fucking old axle that someone had thrown away, and he said, quote, I can get about 30 bucks for this. Like, he just starts picking shit up and naming You're prices. Just, I got this oh here, my I can trade this old shoe, I can give this to my girlfriend, <laughs> I got this, this oh, oh, look at this fish skeleton, oh, scary, scary, you can put that in a horror museum. It's like if Ed Gein produced uh, American Pickers. Yeah. No. Oh yeah, I can get twenty bucks for that. But how, man, how do you even get a fifty-five gallon drum? Like we uh, talk about it all the time. A, he stole it from a recycling plant. Yeah, he oh, stole okay. it. Yeah. And so the cops, not wanting to deal with this obvious pain in the ass, they just suggested Rifkin go scavenge elsewhere. They just give him a get out of here. Get out of here. Yeah. Nailed it again. Well, after that, Rifkin felt even more emboldened and got even riskier as to where he picked up future victims. Number seven was 28-year-old Lorraine Orvieto, who was found in Bayshore, Long Island, much closer to Joel's home. And if you'll notice, I'm, I'm being very good about saying Long Island every single time. I want to yes. make sure that well, our thank you. Long Islanders out there Like our editor, it. our editor, Rob. That's right. So big ups, Rob. Good work. Not killing Thank anybody. You. Long guy. Having a constructive life. Absolutely. <laughs> well, after Joel killed this woman in an empty schoolyard during sex, he rifled through her purse only to find a bottle of AZT, which was an early drug used to treat HIV. This, I think, is where we find one of the most baffling aspects of the Joel Rifkin story. See, even though he never used a condom during oral sex and only wore a condom if a sex worker asked him to, which is incredible considering how he murdered 17 of them, he'd put on a condom if she asked, he never caught HIV himself from the hundreds of high-risk sex workers he slept with. What's even more incredible is that while he did test positive for hepatitis, the free clinic he visited called him up a few days later to tell him that they'd mixed up his test results with someone else, which is good for Joel, but terrible for the person who thought they didn't <laughs> yeah. have hepatitis. Yeah, Absolutely. That's why I'm invisible. Invisible. <laughs> I can't we even. I'm Teflon. Yes, these STDs, they show up and it's just like my penis itself says Get out of here. If all of this, <laughs> you can't handle me. 
<laughs> if this entire series, which ends with this episode, ends with him being like enshrined in the Science Hall of Fame for having the only blood that can cure all STDs, <laughs> I'm going to be like really upset. Like if it um, if it's just him next to that uh, statue of a mouse, <laughs> yeah. they well, would well, take all the mice. All, I mean, he got the clap. Often. Oh, and he did. Okay. Yeah, great. yeah, yeah. And Good. he had her. He had her. He had. Uh, yeah, he had herpes, he had herpes upstairs. Upstairs, downstairs, herpes forever. <sighs> yeah. So he yeah, did man. not. He did not. <laughs> uh, he uh, he even dodged had, that bullet. He I just dodged the fatal bullets. Breakfast nook herpes. <laughs> I got it. <laughs> But regardless of Joel Rifkin's undeserved wait, breakfast nook herpes. What the fuck yeah, is that? All the way, every nook and cranny. Oh yeah, like Lindsey Graham and his ladybugs. <laughs> But regardless of Joel Rifkin's undeserved luck, he disposed of both Lorraine Orvieto's and the body of the next woman he killed using those same 55-gallon oil drums, and he dumped both near Coney Island. So he's dumping bodies everywhere. He's yeah. dumping them in Coney Island. He's dumping them upstate. He's dumping them in the South Bronx. He's throwing them off of the fucking, you know, in the East River. Like, that's part of what makes it so difficult for the cops to see, like, oh, there's a serial killer here mm. because he's just it's all over doing the city. all, it's all over the city and even and outside already, of the city and in Jersey. Like, it's fucking everywhere. And there's already so many murders a year. Yeah. They're, like, it's all blending together. And this is like when he's fully in his aggressive, like, berserk mode where yeah. he's just going out every night and doing it real and real quick succession yeah and these aren't the only yeah these aren't the only sex workers showing up dead in new york city he's not the only one doing this for his next murder though rifkin returned to manhattan and picked up 25 year old iris sanchez who was driven down to one of the spots where the macy's fireworks are set off every fourth of july and after the subsequent murder, Rifkin started driving back to East Meadow with the body, but instead of taking her all the way, Joel decided to emulate the Green River Killer and dump the body near the airport. In this case, JFK. Ugh. After driving... <laughs> was it an ech just because you don't like JFK or an ech because he uh, He's a was emulating the Green River Killer? Copycat also. Copycat. Rule applies. RFK. JFK. No. <laughs> Also, no airports. That's why I prefer. Like, that's why I prefer LaGuardia, because you know, yo, fucking yeah. the the mayor. He's a, a good mayor. mayor. A real mayor. A real mayor. After driving into a vacant lot, Rifkin found a discarded mattress and simply hid the body underneath and just left it there. Oh my god. When he got home, though, he was met with quite an irate mother. All of you think that the cops are scary, but what I do scary. You ain't never met Mrs. Rifkin. Yeah. Oh, you better not. I mean, I once used the doily to call, like, I, I had to clean up all his blood, right? I used uh -huh. his doily to do it. The and good like, doily. Mother, he wouldn't even let it go. She's like, where's my doily? And I was just like, Ma, it doesn't even protect the tape. <laughs> Apparently, Joel had ditched a shift at a liquor store where he'd been hired part-time, and his boss had been calling because it was a particularly busy Mother's Day weekend, which seemed <laughs> Seems odd because I've never thought of Mother's Day as a hard liquor holiday. You never had a mom from Long Island. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I suppose so. We can't keep this Franzia in oh. stock. And it's, God honestly, damn it. Is it Mother's Day weekend or something? I, I forgot also to mention, in speaking of jobs, you know that Baba Booey said he worked with Joel Rifkin. Yeah. What? At the record Baba store. Booey, Baba Booey. Yeah. yeah. Wow. From that the Stern world. show there. But regardless, when Joel went to finish out the shift 
at the liquor store after a long night of murder. He did so with a ring, a watch, and a bracelet taken from Ira Sanchez's corpse stuffed in his pocket. Perhaps the most incredible fact of this entire tale, though, is that while it seems like Iris's body would be found immediately, it stayed in that vacant lot under that mattress for well over a year until Joel Rifkin led police to the dumping site himself. Uh, We don't know. No, Officer Pastrami. We don't want to look under that mattress that obviously looks like it has a corpse underneath because now the body of the corpse. You see that mattress right there? That's 12 hours of paperwork. Yeah, leave the mattress. Jesus. No, that's still the fucking deal in New York City. They will, if you try to report a crime to a cop, he will actively try to get you to not report it so he doesn't have to do the fucking paperwork. I mean, to be honest, he's going to actively make, he's going to actively want to make you to, he's going to make you confess to the crime. Nah, um, yes. then you do just it. Put, you did. You <laughs> do it then. So you must have done it then. It seems like you have a lot of information on this crime. No, I was. It I was money. It's interesting. It happened to me. I, I, I am the one that received the crime. <laughs> no, I, I seem to know a lot about I, this crime. When I got knockout gamed and I went to the cops and the two kids that beat me up, they I went up and I told the cops that I got the I got uh, punched in the back of the head, and the cop was like, "You know how it is with these kids. If they're not fucking, they're beating the shit out of people." Thank you. <laughs> I was like, that's it? That was it. Thank you. Just the worst is where the cop is like, I could see why they would do that to you. Look at you. Uh, now, let's Wait think about that for a second. Turn around. And then he goes, yeah. and your little guy grabs his arm, and he's just like, ah, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It was an actual impulse. But concerning Iris Sanchez, Rifkin said that while he murdered her with what he considered to be a fair amount of skill, he still maintained that he killed her, quote, efficiently by accident. See, Rifkin, true to form, couldn't even feel good about himself as a serial killer and complained that sometimes it was too hard. I'm going to fucking kill this man. I you know hate- what it is about this little bitch is that, you know what he wanted? I really do believe this. He kept saying like, you know, I, I was never really good at it. And I think that what he literally wanted was for Miladinovich being going like, no, I think you were really good, Joel. <laughs> oh, like, I think man. that he wanted to hear like, no, Joel, you're one of the best. So he could be yeah. like, hey, you know, ah. but no one would give him that, would they? Wouldn't no, give him they that. wouldn't. No. Well, talking to Mladenich, Joel again brought his non-existent athletic abilities into the mix, saying that while he should have gotten better at the act of killing throughout his career, he just didn't. He then went on to compare himself to Tiger Woods, Mm -hmm. who had recently come out of a slump at the time of Joel's interview. Rifkin said that when Woods went into a slump... Golf is mental. (laughs) Wait, no, there's nothing... You have nothing in common with Tiger Woods. Absolutely nothing. No, 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 no. no. We both had very inspiring fathers. Um, (laughs) Nike would have dropped my sponsorship by now. (laughs) <laughs> oh, that is true. Yeah. Yeah. Rivkin said that when Woods went into, into his slump, Tiger spent two years practicing his swing over and over again until he returned to form. But Rivkin complained that because he couldn't consistently practice strangling women to death, mm. he never, quote, got good at it. Because I try to do it to myself, but next thing you know, I'm asleep. Right. <laughs> and right. I look at my yeah. mother. Right. And I was just like, I love you, ma. I can't do anything to you, Ma. She's free. She's going to go to do the Outlander tour. Scott, oh, that's exciting. She's going to go do erotic tour. Oh, so, that would be just really hard. fun. I'm just, I'm scr- I, I, went and I got a melon. I was trying to squeeze it. It's just not the same. You know, no. for a fact, his mom used to get quite wet thinking about Lorenzo Lamas in Renegade. 
I think you get wet. <laughs> no. Thinking about Lorenzo Long. No. No. Oh. from your grave. Hey, what's up, everyone? How you doing? Ben Kissel here with Henry Zabrowski. Yeah, it's me, man. Yeah, bro. Henry Zabrowski is smoking some of that sweet last podcast of the left, babe. Go out there and purchase yourself some. I hope you enjoy it. We have sativa, we have indica, and we have a hybrid. And I have to tell you, from my personal experience, they are wonderful. Super tasty live resin. You really get the delicious weedy taste, which is what I like. And three different experiences. You go to your local vape store and get it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you all so much for supporting the show. We absolutely love you. Can't wait to see you on the road and get that vape. Put it in your brain and have a good time. And if you want us at your favorite weed store, give them a call and ask for them by name. Last podcast on the left. It's weed. Hail yourselves, everyone. Hail Satan. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Finding work-life balance can be tough, but Squarespace gives you the tools to reach your goals and have time to celebrate. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. With the new guided design system, Squarespace Blueprint, you can select from curated layout and styling options to create a personalized website optimized for every device. Get your website discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools. Plus, make checkout easy for customers with easy-to-use payment tools. And with Squarespace AI, you can explain what your site is about, choose your tone, enter what you need, and get auto-generated text and that helps you save time. I know I'm sitting on about two literal wheelbarrows filled with horse picks. Now, part of the issue has been is a lot of these pictures are getting stopped at customs because some of them do depict various world leaders in horse-like circumstances that seems to be pinging a lot of these custom agents accounts. Now, so what I've done to do is like so while I'm trying to work on hand smuggling these horse picks over various country borders. I then also have time because Squarespace is doing all the other ad work for me to go and work on my killdozer at home. So thank you, Squarespace, for allowing me to diversify in the best way possible for this country. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial when you're ready to launch. Go to squarespace.com slash left to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Ah, Jules. Oh, Jules. Make a wife smile today. The road to getting engaged can be long and full of memories and pitfalls and landmines. Or it can be short and thrilling, like a roller coaster on the way to the police department. But the road to finding the perfect engagement ring is a straightforward path every time. All you've got to do is head over to BlueNile.com and they're going to ship them rocks straight to your wife's new fingers. On BlueNile.com, you can create a bigger, more brilliant piece than you can imagine. At a price you won't find at a traditional jeweler, Blue Nile is the original online jeweler since 1999. That's present time to me. Their diamond price guarantee means that in most cases, they can meet or beat a competitor's price on a comparable diamond. I know when I got my wife a beautiful Blue Nile necklace, the first thing she did was, what did you do? But afterwards, she was so happy to have it and she loved it and she wore it when we went on vacation and my own did everybody come around being like where'd you get that piece you beautiful woman and I was like stop talking to my wife she's spoken for you can see it with the blue Nile bling she's got on her right now get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more with code lastpodcast at bluenile.com that's $50 off with code lastpodcast at bluenile.com Blue Nile. 
Com. No matter what kind of work you do, how you communicate is key. All those emails, reports, and presentations are equally important to the collaboration needed to get things done. Grammarly can help. Grammarly is your AI writing partner to help you communicate more effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact at work. And isn't that what matters most? Better writing means a stronger impact. Grammarly works across 500,000 apps and websites. You can't escape it. Like the ever-pervasing octopus of malice that is the NSA. Grammarly is watching your every move, making sure that you're doing it right. Data privacy and security are woven into the foundation of Grammarly, into the very essence of its nature. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner, and it helps your team make their point and move faster, because that's the key there. Work smarter, not harder. Yes, Grammarly. You know how many times it saves me from writing a long, rambling, one-sentence email at 4 o'clock in the morning to my beloved employees? Makes me sound like someone who doesn't just have a BA in theater. All right, I was taught how to be a tree. I was not taught how to survive as an adult. All right, my job was to cry in front of a weird Southern man who just told me all sorts of weird stuff about my body. I didn't learn how to write. So thank you, Grammarly, because you're making me the boss I gotta be to motivate my team to get out there. Oh, man, you don't want to mess with them. Thanks, Grammarly. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Sign up and download for free. Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said, done. But no matter his supposed skill level, Rifkin murdered two more women in quick succession, picked up from Queens in the Lower East Side. Then he took a job at a temp agency that placed him at a camera warehouse in Long Island. How many then, times do we meet killers every day? Because all of these you, jobs, you never like know. We, you never know. You never know. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I mean, the one that made me really think about that was him in the liquor store holding the bracelet of the woman that right. with the bracelet of the woman he just killed in his fucking pocket. Like oh, how yeah. many people like some guy that you just pay five bucks to for a sandwich and he just fucking strangled someone to death. Yeah. Right. And he's just a miserable fuck at his job and he's bad at it. You yeah. know what I mean? It's yeah. like that guy you think would be a serial killer. Might <laughs> right. Just be one. Yeah. It seems like they don't really excel at much. No. no. There at the camera warehouse, Rifkin worked with a high school acquaintance named Michael Brown, and the two eventually became friendly after Brown began giving Rifkin rides to work when his truck broke down. Surprisingly, Rifkin and Brown had a fairly normal work-buddy relationship, having lunch together, occasionally they'd meet up for happy hour, after shifts, and this is why I think Rifkin is so full of shit when it comes to his interactions with other people and how much everyone hated him. There are plenty of people that are just, he's fine. He yeah. was fine, but he just didn't live that special life, that special perfect life that he felt like he deserved. But when Brown would ask Rifkin, hey, would you do over the weekend? Rifkin stayed vague, only saying, quote, Oh, uh, nothing. Uh, nothing? I just hung out. That's Where'd it. you hang out? At? Uh, around. Where'd people <laughs> hang out? <laughs> yeah, like a park? Or like, did you go On, watch the, uh, the Mets? Night, I hung out. <laughs> Saturday day, yeah. I st I stood. I went to a place and I 
I stood in one place. It was mostly skin for about eight hours. And wow. And I hung out. Watch the Mets Sunday. game at all or no, nothing? I was around. Okay. Doing various things and attending to various objects with all various right. personas. Great. Well, other than that, the only red flag Rifkin showed was that when his truck wasn't broke down, he would never let anyone inside. And he always made sure to park as far away as possible from the rest of the staff. But speaking of cars, Rifkin, just like he'd been with talking about Record World, he showed no emotion in talking about his next and 13th victim. But he got very upset when he recounted that the gear shift lever had been bent during the murder. I can't believe you hurt my truck while I was strangling you to death. It's like, yeah, fuck you, dude. I mean, it wasn't even about hurting the truck. It wasn't about uh, blaming her for hurting the truck. It was that he had an inconvenience to deal with. Like the yes. gear shift was bent and so he couldn't put it into drive. He Well, he could put it into drive. It was just really hard oh to put God, it into drive and it was going to be an inconvenience to him. But that's bitch. kind of what he said too was that he, that was the only times he felt anything. Like, yeah. was that those moments? He said, like, he said that he, when Miladinovich asked him, it was like, does the killing make you feel alive? And he's just like, you know, like, it's not about being alive. Uh, it's about being aware. A heightened sense of smell, color, feeling, you know? You know, like, even like when a guy like Mark McGuire hit 70 <laughs> home runs in a year. You're not Mark he McGuire. Will, you're no, not Tiger like Woods. Him. Joel, no, no you're he, not. You remember one or two of them, you know, as being like the ultimate home run. You know what I mean? But, you know, it's just kind of a, a sense. It's like, you know, when the car wouldn't start, that's like a, a heightened sense of awareness. Wow. This guy really put himself on a pedestal, huh? He did. But also put himself down. Yeah. And additionally, as Mary Catherine Williams was Rifkin's 13th victim, Joel got superstitious and got rid of the body as fast as he could, dumping her Ugh. in the woods near an industrial park in Yorktown. However, even though Joel was nervous about this murder... Do you think he would have done the thing like they do in hotels and just, like, not have named it yeah, his 13th just victim? Skip. Just being like, 14! <laughs> However, even though Joel was nervous about this murder, he kept a large wicker basket full of costume jewelry that Williams dragged around with her, which led police to believe, upon searching Joel's room, that there were potentially hundreds of victims. But while hundreds of victims sounds a bit ridiculous, it's not the most out-of-the-world notion. The body of the next woman Rifkin killed, Jenny Soto, was dumped at almost the same exact place where Rifkin had dumped Yoon Lee's body in the South Bronx. But while the cops did admittedly investigate that murder, they didn't even think about the possibility of a serial killer and instead did their best to pin Jenny Soto's death on her boyfriend, an aspiring rapper lost to the sands of time, Named popcorn. Mm. Oh. You know how it is. You gotta, <laughs> you gotta wrap yourself in a buttery way. If I don't make it in music. I'm going to the police academy. That's where I'm going. That's you're gonna I do great. To you're, one day you're gonna be a detective. <laughs> you're gonna be a detective one day, popcorn. Popcorn. Did you did you ever make a mixtape or anything like that? Did you yeah, do it's hot fire. Yeah, you gotta check it out. Hot fire. You like mixtapes? Yeah. $10. I put it in your hand, bitch. I put it in your hand, you fucking bitch. Give me that money. All right, here's your $10. I actually don't want the CD, but... Yeah, Give me the money. Here's the money. 
If you ever visit New York City and someone tries to hand you a CD, run away. Do not Hands take it from air. him. Hands, Hands in, in the, the air. air. Hands in the pocket. Do not take the mix CD from the man. He will demand money from you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know who also fucking does that? Those motherfucking Buddhists. <laughs> they hand you that gold card and then they're like they hold it like they give you for good luck and they're like donation donation Ooh, mm -hmm. oh i thought yeah. you fucking were one with everything i thought yeah i thought we were all just atoms bro yeah and if a guy bumps into you and says and comes up to you and says that you made him drop his glasses he did not drop his glasses he brought some prescriptions, some fucking reading glasses from cvs and mm -hmm. he's trying to scam you he's scamming you yeah. And if a guy's got his gun in your mouth, if a guy's yeah. got a gun in your fucking mouth, make sure you stick your tongue in the hole because you yeah. stop a bullet. Very Absolutely. Easily. No problem. But since Jenny Soto was physically the hardest woman to murder out of all of them, to the point where Joel had to break her neck, he slowed oh. down for a few weeks until February of 1993 when he picked up Leah Evans. Evans, as it turned out, was not a lost soul like so many others killed by Rifkin. She was the daughter of a Manhattan civil court judge, and it's thought that her night with Rifkin might have been her first ever as a sex worker. <sighs> From what Rifkin claimed, Leah stopped Joel in the middle of the act and asked her to drive her to a friend's house. And Joel said that since she made him feel uncomfortable, he strangled her to death. But perhaps because Joel got the feeling that she wasn't like all the others, which tells you that he was getting far more relaxed about his victim type, he buried her in a shallow grave, the only time he ever buried someone he killed. Garden it, of bones. <laughs> yeah. But as yeah. it turned out, that shallow grave was very shallow. One might say lazily shallow. And almost three months later, a couple on a nature hike saw Leah Evans' hand sticking out of the ground. Still Invisible. painted. Still painted. <laughs> still painted with red nail polish. Oh. Despite her more elevated background, though, she also wasn't identified until Joel was caught. But. On the other hand, that also had to do with the fact that Joel was very, very near to getting captured. Speaking of being brazen, Rifkin was not only getting more careless with his victim type, but also where he killed, who was around while he was doing it, and how long he waited before getting rid of the evidence. Case in point, in terms of all three, was the last murder Joel Rifkin committed, that of 22-year-old Tiffany Bresciani. See, Bresciani had been a performer at one of New York City's sex emporiums, the Big Top Lounge, Man. which at one point cool. had actual carousel horses ridden by topless dancers. Man, Whoa. I just feel like that these places must have been so fun. I know everybody was like scared oh. there and there was a lot of problem, violence, <laughs> crime, but I do feel like like that's fun. Like the idea of like a sex um, show. Like, you I'm going like, to tell you this. I don't know if it was. Yeah. I went to a place called Dino's Bikini Bar. It was mm. near MSG, right? Oh, I know I was exactly like, oh, this what you're talking about. And then I slowly but surely found out that A, the girls weren't allowed to speak. B, none of them uh, were oh, from here. And then I good. just kind of found out that I think they were all being trafficked. Oh, that's so that was then it was shut I'm down just, about six months later with a lot of red tape. I want a yeah. fun, safe environment where you could go I don't and they know do the fun things emporium. where they do like like Jumbo's Clown Room <laughs> is really great in LA right where it's like yeah. you go and it's like a show like it's like it's really fun you know like that sounds cool 
I like a yeah. show. I like to go there and they're singing. I like to go there and you see their talents. They can do some impressions, yeah. show their boobies. No, I know what you like, and that's why I don't think you'd enjoy that. Yeah. The, um, yeah, the event, I think. It's always the floors. The floors are always in really bad shape in those places. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. the biggest problem. Yeah. <laughs> the janitorial <laughs> staff are asleep. That's the right. problem. The yeah. floors just it just floors tell you a lot about a place. They do. A breast. <laughs> I'm serious. It's, it's, no, it's, I, it's, I believe it. I believe it. it. Yeah. That's why I only go to strip clubs with marble floors. It's fun to watch everyone fall down. Yeah, it's like all slippery. Falling into tits. Yeah. Yeah, I went to this one place that used one of the last uh, porno shops and like subway stations on 42nd and oh, 8th I when I worked over there in 2000. Yeah, I went there with with a boss once who asked me to go there after work one day because <laughs> work was different we both, back in the day. We both, guys, we both, it wasn't back in the day. That was 2010. And that's 2006. It's 2006. Mm. We both, well, that's the thing is we both lived in uh, Harlem uh, and we would take the train home together one day. And then, and then one day he was like, Hey, yo, I got to uh, run a little errand before we, uh, before I go home. You want to, you want to go with me? You want to go oh, ahead? Pass? He and was like, trying to have sex. <laughs> with you. Yeah, he <laughs> no. was definitely trying to have sex no. with you. I, what yeah, is maybe, it about you, Marcus, maybe. where people feel comfortable showing you their most disgusting habits like Been that I know way the since janitor, i was a teenager you've the, seen everybody's wow. porn yeah no one's Just, i've never went to buy porn with my boss no, no. never and no. i no. work in show business no no and it wasn't it wasn't that weird i mean it was weird but yeah and i ended up like i ended up buying like a dvd just because I felt like kind of weird not buying a DVD because well, yeah, he was buying what DVDs. You, what DVD did you buy? It was a class. It was like a vintage porn like compilation. Um, what did he buy? It was like uh, just you know just porn. He just bought fucking porn. my twink employee. <laughs> <laughs> Fantasies come true. I mean, it was, but he was also in charge of the. Well, no, I can't get. I can't get more into the. I can't get more into the uh, what that guy did without actually like saying like where I worked. Um, um, but I, and I, incriminating him, yeah, incriminating. Yeah, it shouldn't, yeah, shouldn't be doing that at this point. Well, no. Bresciani, though, <laughs> it's not illegal. It's just it's no, just, it's, no, it's, it's, it's not illegal. It's not. It's not it's illegal. It's just crooked. a weird thing. And yeah, and I don't. I don't. Fun. I don't want to put this place on blast. Yeah, right. but Bresciani, though, she also had both a cocaine and a methadone habit, and she could often be found on Allen Street in the Lower East Side. This fact was well known to Joel Rifkin, who'd become obsessed with Tiffany Bresciani after seeing her perform. After finding her, picking her up, and negotiating a fee of 20 bucks, Rifkin drove her to a parking lot in his mother's sedan, where he again couldn't maintain an erection. This, Rifkin said, got blamed on the fact that there was a guy in the van parked next to him. Oh my god. He parked Come on, there. buddy. Yes, yeah. you did it. So after he waited for the guy to leave his field of vision, Joel grabbed Tiffany Bresciani by the neck and started strangling her. But just before she passed out, Joel looked up to see that the guy from the van was now outside, three feet away, doing Tai Chi, completely oblivious. You know, and the whole time I'm looking at him, I'm looking at him and I'm thinking, how's that even fucking exercise? He's just kind of. He's. It looks like he's pushing clouds. I don't know what he's doing. You know what I mean? You just got this Steven Seagal looking dude doing Tai Chi. Yeah. Under what are they? Under a fucking bridge? No, they're just in a parking lot somewhere. Just a random parking lot. New York, peace. You have to find it somewhere. Sure. 
As soon as Rifkin was done, though, he left Bresciani's body in the backseat, totally naked, and drove it back to his home at around 7 a.m. Once he got there, he told his now constantly irate mother that he had to do some errands before she could have her car back. Because she's literally getting all the calls like, where's Joel? He was supposed to cut my lawn. And they're all like, he's not, I don't know where he is. Mm -hmm. And then like, he's just the total absolute piece of fucking he's just the worst and she's constantly he's constantly taking her car at all hours and she's stopped long since stopped asking him where you been what have you been doing where you at joe why you out all night i was at a night joel because she knows where he is now she knows exactly where he is and she knows that she can't stop him without either locking the door to his room or fucking murdering him Mm. yeah he then drove to kmart bought antifreeze oil and a tarp then took the car to an empty lot where he wrapped Tiffany Bresciani's body in said tarp, which was then locked in the trunk. Having hid the body temporarily, Joel took the car back home and handed the keys over to his mother, who unknowingly ran her errands that day with Whoa. the body of a dead woman in the trunk. No. Oh, yeah, dude. And the whole time, because then what's interesting is that she leaves and he says in he, quote, he's like, and I was having like a little panic attack, which I think is not true. I think that he was understood or kind of what was happening. Like he's now directly put his quote unquote beloved mother in with the fucking serial killer's evidence. Oh yeah. like my he's just And she's God. just going to the quilt store. Going to Duncan, just being well, like, what would make her not? What if she bought a bunch of fucking groceries and had to put them in the trunk? Did he think about no, that? No, he was. He's stupid. He's fucking oh, stupid. He's stupid. <laughs> I see. It's not that he's stupid. It's that at this point he's just gotten lazy because lazy. that's the thing is that he knew that when he got home, his mom's going to ask to use the car, but he didn't give himself enough time to get rid of the body, you know, drive the car home, get rid of the body, put it somewhere, stop off at his fucking shed. But at this point, he's probably lost his shed, uh, but he's yeah. just he's just not thinking things through fucking like he putts. was at the beginning. He was also kind of in this. Uh, he says he wasn't trying to get caught. But it definitely reads as somebody trying to get caught. Or at the yeah. very least, not caring if he did, right? Yes. Yeah. A I think bit. it's more that. He just didn't, yeah. It's just, or didn't he's, give a fuck. Just doesn't give a fuck. Well, did he shit. want the fame? It's all, Is no. he like Berkowitz? Did he want well, to be discovered? Did he want the headlines? We get to, we'll talk about that yeah. in a little bit. Yeah, yeah. He liked the attention, but it's complicated. But even though Joel was a little nervous while his mother was gone for those four hours, he decided to start on a little project to ensure that something like this wouldn't happen again. Since his truck was always breaking down and he kept having to borrow his mother's car to murder women, he decided it was time to put a new engine into an old Mazda single cab B-series junker that he owned. Once his mother returned and night fell, Joel moved Tiffany Bresciani's corpse to the garage with a wheelbarrow and covered it with a tarp. He then forgot about the body completely for three days what? while becoming hyper-focused on the engine project. It's really weird. Well, concerning Joel's hyper-focus, our head researcher pointed out to us that Joel Rifkin might have had undiagnosed autism, and not just because he became focused on a project to the point where he ignored a dead body decomposing in the same room for three days. 
From what we've been told concerning autism and Joel Rifkin, Joel showed multiple signs of being neurodivergent. He was never able to look anybody in the eye. He had very few facial expressions. He was never able to hold a job or maintain friendships. And he had a very hard time understanding the emotions of others. That being said, it's important to note that Joel Rifkin was not a serial killer because he was possibly autistic. Instead, his possible autism had no more to do with his serial murders than Dennis Rader's baldness had to do with his. It's a sign of high testosterone. Well, let's be honest. It's not a sign of testosterone. <laughs> I don't even think that that's true. It's a uh, sign Dennis of high Rader, testosterone. I do think there's something about his bald head that made it scarier. Yeah. He's a piece of shit. <laughs> yeah. uh, but it's not you a causation. Also, you know? right. it's, a full, it's a spice. In the serial killer soup, it's a it's a vegetable in the soup. If if his not in the serial like in his his serial killer soup, not if he was the serial killer soup. Yes, if there was some for on his, if he was somewhere on the autism spectrum, absolutely. But he also just was a fucking bastard, and he had antisocial <laughs> personality disorder. He had something like many other things that make you a serial killer. Not this. Well, the way I look at it is that you know, there's while there's no correlation between autism and serial killing, or really any correlation between mental illness and violence at all, Joel's possible undiagnosed neurodivergence might have been a contributing factor to his rapidly approaching capture. Mm. See, because Rifkin was so heavily focused on that engine, the disposal of the decomposing body fell completely to the wayside. Because it's not like Joel didn't know there was a body in the same room. He knew there was a body in there with him. Well, I'm assuming it started to smell a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it Henry, did. didn't you say that he, like, put, like, neosporin in his, in his nostrils? He put neosporin up into his nostrils so he wasn't smelling it. And his family wouldn't go in there because he had become such a hoarder that no one wanted to go in and out of his bedroom. Or, like, so you have a oh. normal woman's house in Long Island living there, and her she has let her son devolve into whatever he's become in his room and the garage and they've mm. just sort of like allowed him to have those areas and they just stopped going in because yeah. it was already filthy it was filled with old food it was already smelled like rot and so uh, it kind of slid within it yeah, he's I probably see. pissing in the corner like yes. it's not it's not Ugh. a good place it's not about it's a place that you want to stay out of okay but as soon as joel repaired his mazda pickup he loaded the body in the back and took it out to dispose of it somewhere. Problem was, since this was a junker, the truck didn't have license plates. And the oh, first God. cop who saw Joel hit the red and blues. Joel very unwisely panicked, thinking that the cops would immediately smell the four-day-old corpse in the back if he stopped. So Joel decided to play Dukes of Hazard with a state trooper. Okay, it's time to put on my racing song. Brenda and Eddie <laughs> still going steady in the summer of 75. Out of a call to the end of the line. So he's Everybody got Everybody said they were crazy. You are Everybody crazy. Everybody knows they were much too lazy. You are lazy. Eddie can never afford all of that kind of life. <laughs> oh, Brenda and Eddie would always know how to survive. Ooh. I love that Irish folk song. So he's got a junker that he that's himself... A, that's a Long Island classic. It's something. He's got a junker that he fixed himself, and he thinks that he's going to be able to outrun a state trooper in a, a very nice state trooper vehicle. Unwisely was he the word that I used. He wasn't thinking clearly. Uh, oh, he wasn't. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, not too long after exiting from the Southern State Parkway and running a stop sign, the state trooper called in the situation, and before long... 
multiple cars were chasing after Joel. The chase went on for 20 minutes, but finally Joel took a turn too fast and lost control, crashing into a utility pole. The body was found almost immediately as Joel Rifkin was laid on the ground with his hands behind his back. And after 17 murders, he was finally arrested because of one simple mistake that was entirely his own. Because he's on the ground. He's literally on the ground with his hands behind his head. And the cops went up to him and they were like, do you know you don't have a license plate? Like, (laughs) that's why we're picking. That's why we were pulling you over. Yeah. What a uh, if you're that cop. I mean, obviously, it's horrible what's happened here. But that's a hell of a that's a that's a big get. That's, that is literally how my father became. You get a to retire. Yeah, you he get pulled to retire. over a murderer. He pulled over a dude who had killed two people, and he pulled the num- the thing, and then it had a warrant out for his arrest. The guy ran like twenty feet. My dad caught him, and he got a bunch of medals. Wow, there you go. Yeah, that's crazy. And what did he do with that? Like you know, with that newfound straight to, straight to the desk, man. <laughs> he went straight to the desk, and he never used. He pulled his gun never again. <laughs> Never again. But he did. I did. He did. He go to a, get a lot of uh, free entrances to like Mets games and shit like that. Dude, being a cop back day was pure freedom, dude. You splashed the badge. <laughs> we went Mets for free. I go and saw Mets for free. I got right up next to like the dangerous part where they shoot the fireworks off. We got to go through that whole thing. <laughs> really great. It's, it's amazing, dude. Phantom. I saw Phantom of the Opera for free. We got that limo. Yes. Oh yeah, was I, that like this year, Fourth uh, um, of July, where the NYPD over here, uh, one of the peers, uh, court, even though the entire fucking coast was just packed, jam packed with people, the NYPD uh, kept a very sparsely attended pier just for them and their fucking family. Yes, is it like that? that was it like that do. shit? Yep. Is it like yep, that bullshit? Yes, yes. In Great. case of a nuclear attack, don't ask <laughs> why. No. Nuclear holocaust. In case of a nuclear holocaust. First of all, kiss your ass goodbye. <laughs> Second of all, yep. trains will not be running until Friday. <laughs> yeah, trains are trains will be running on a holiday schedule in case of a nuclear holocaust. <laughs> yeah, we talked about that a bit on Top Hat this week. That has got some. That's got. We got some good humor out of that. That's good. Ooh, it's good. We got some Ooh. good humor out of that. <laughs> well, pretty soon after arriving at the nearest police station, Joel, who had never gotten any attention his whole life, he talked for 13 hours Whoa. straight, going into great detail about all 17 murders. The first murder he went on trial for was Tiffany Bresciani. And Joel said that it was during this trial, after seeing the families of the women that he killed, that he finally began to realize that they hadn't just been objects. Ah, that's my bad. <laughs> that's your that's bad? That's on me. Okay. This did not, however, mean that Joel felt empathy. Really, all it did was change Joel's perspective. It's like a child who runs into his teacher at the grocery store and suddenly realizes that teachers don't live at the school and never leave. I thought they all love sucking dick. (laughs) (laughs) I remember when I ran into my teacher at El Dorado's in Stevens Point, Wisconsin. We both met eyes and we both knew we shouldn't have been there. So it was silent. El Dorado's, is that a a gentleman's club? No, that was the porn store. Oh, that was the porn store. <laughs> yeah, that was the. Uh, I don't know if it's still there. I remember, um, man, I was just doing some, not research, but I was, okay. So I was, Whoa, okay. okay. Anyway, right. what I'm okay, saying okay, is, you're, you're, you what are you about nothing. to confess to? I'm, I'm here for it, man. Fucking let's go. <sighs> you can rent sex dolls. And I just thought that was funny because there's a website that I was looking at with someone and it was just like, but I stumbled upon it and I just thought it was funny because you can rent them. 
You can- <laughs> yes, <laughs> like, like, the idea of yeah. the poor fucks that have to clean it. Yeah, yeah. Poop. And then the sex dolls are really weird. And but anyway, you know, there's that. So it's America's only sex doll story. And the first question is, why rent? <laughs> and, and you can you can literally rent the, and they deliver the them to you. And you can rent them. You can rent them it's by the thing, hour, right? If you own your own it's sex weird, doll, dude. you have all the maintenance you have to do yourself. Yeah. <laughs> it's so hard. If you have a busy schedule, the best part about our renting sex dolls is that you can leave them anywhere in a ditch under a mattress. No one <laughs> will know. What, they, it's kind of what they said. Anyway. Do you rent them? So it's renting. It's not leasing a sex doll because I had an idea that it was that you were leasing the sex doll. Like you were, yeah, that you were that you would have the sex doll for like a year, maybe two years, and then you could trade him for a new one. But no, it's it's by the hour rental, huh? It's a rental. It's it's oh. a bizarre. It's a bizarre. Uh, it's a bizarre. Thing. I think that's better. Yeah. Now, yeah. Now, Joel Rifkin believed that he'd somehow cheat the system and be set free despite how? killing 17 women. He Joel thought, Young, fucking moron. How? Well, well, what he thought was he thought that they had illegally entered into his home and that all because all of the other murders like, yeah, there was the confessions, but all the other murders, all of that evidence was found like in his house. And he thought like, OK, yeah, they oh got God. me for Tiffany Bresciani. But, you know, if I get that pled down to like manslaughter, then I could just do 25 years. He had this idea that because when they went to search the house, that they didn't tell his mother that they were charging him with murder, that like, which is not what you do, because literally the whole point is to like, that's where the evidence is. You don't want to mm-hmm. tell people what evidence you're looking for, because if you do, they'll they'll try to hide the evidence. So yeah. What you have to do is go in there and you have a search warrant. You're allowed to enter into the house. And so he we're here to investigate because- if you truly are America's number one mother. <laughs> I see this mug, but where's the evidence? <laughs> cuff, him. cuff this bitch. You're at least number five. No, make it a number one because guess who number one is? My fucking mother. Oh my god! <laughs> I believe no. that. He seriously thought that he was going to do 25 years for killing Tiffany Bresciani and then he was going to get released and then live the rest of his life as he as he called it an eccentric celebrity writer. He thought that's what his life what? was going to be. Yeah, he's in yeah. I can just see he's definitely one of those guys on Facebook who posts the none of my information is up for sale. Do yeah. not Facebook has <laughs> yeah, no yeah, right to like, any of my content. Nobody cares, bro. <laughs> yeah. No, the only person that ever worked out for was John Hinckley. That was it. Yeah. You know, did 40 yeah. years Even and his now his shows are getting canceled. They They're are canceling well, the shows. They are, are they really? Yeah, yeah. That Market Hotel show got canceled uh, because of the threats, death threats, and all that. He yeah. tried to kill the president. <sighs> well, I mean, he didn't do it. If anything, he, Reagan should thank him. If he didn't kill him, he did kill yeah, Brady. His though. approval ratings went. No, he didn't kill he, Brady. Yeah, he killed Brady. Yeah, the bullet that he shot Brady with. Uh, later, was I don't him. do that. I don't do the thing where it's like <laughs> 20 years later, the bullet? the bullet. I don't. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> you're saying it's the bullet's fault? <laughs> All I know is he helped that man immensely get reelected. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. But this right here. This is my favorite part of the entire Joel Rifkin story. So Joel Rifkin, you know, he's on the cover of the New York Post. I killed 17 women. He's hot shit in New York City. Everybody's yeah. talking about Joel Rifkin. And he's loving he, And he's running he's, his defense like a general, right? He's yeah, just like, okay. you. I'll tell He There's a quote from a letter he wrote to his attorney where he was like, if I want you to think something's important, I'll fucking tell you it's important because <laughs> I know what's important. Yeah. Really? Okay. No, he's he's ruling the roost, man. I I mean, he's cock of the walk here. But in one of the craziest moments I've ever heard of the universe writing itself, 
Just as Joel's notoriety was reaching its peak in the New York City metro area, a man named Colin Ferguson went on a mass shooting spree on a Long Island Railroad commuter train. And since mass shootings were rare rather than routine in those days, Ferguson's story sucked all the true crime air out of the room, and Joel Rifkin was soon relegated to the who-gives-a-shit back pages of the fucking tabloids right before they flipped to the sports section. Yeah, dude, they didn't even put a camera in for the trial. He was, like, all prepared, too, even though he looked like shit. He was all, like, rumpled and, like... He looked like garbage, but he was like wow. ready for his primetime moment and then it all got taken. That's yeah. what happened to what was it? Uh, Mia Farrow? No. What was the other gal who died on camera and then Michael uh, Jackson? Farrah Fawcett. Died. Yeah, Fawcett. That's Fawcett. also what happened to the Arab Spring, also with Michael Jackson's death. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, things were only pretty weird. That was the scene of John joke from about yeah, yeah, 12 yeah. years ago. Yeah. Yep. Indeed, it's kind of interesting to uh, think about how many like little small things changed history in a way that led us to here. Mm-hmm. Yep. Little dumb things that happen. We just yeah. know for for a fact someone on September tenth, two thousand one, did something really great. Really great. We know yeah. we'll never know. <laughs> no idea. <laughs> Well, things were only made worse for Joel Rifkin when Colin Ferguson, the guy who brought the limelight away from him, Colin Ferguson got transferred to the same county jail where Rifkin was held and they got into a fist fight and Ferguson <laughs> beat the shit out of Joel Rifkin. Yeah, dude. He got into a fight about body count. They were talking oh about they got into a fight literally God. with Colin Ferguson because he was truly very crazy. He was like, I killed six devils. You just killed people. And then Joel Rifkin's like, well, I killed 17 of them. And then the guy beat the shit out of him. Oh my God. Always okay. annoying. <laughs> Rifkin was soon transferred to Rikers for his upcoming trials, where he became a punching bag for a whole series of other inmates. And he would routinely show up to hearings with black eyes. And after that, Rifkin was found guilty of five murders in relatively quick succession. But when he was found guilty of the fifth murder, he seemed more concerned with the surgery he'd just had to remove a cyst from his thigh three weeks earlier. In open court, and this is right after he was sentenced for his fifth murder, he said, quote, My being here today with an open three and a half inch surgical incision is a flagrant violation of the court's oath and responsibility. This defendant, (laughs) defendant, sees no reason (laughs) in law or logic that compels this defendant to be here on this date when the court could have easily postponed this matter for two weeks for this wound to heal properly. All right. Now, if you just turn over, uh, pull down your pants, keep the underwear on. It's time for the wedgie. <laughs> I this is my other favorite quote. This man, so much. He's such. I hate this fucking guy. This is another one of my favorite last quotes he has. I have premonitions, you know. I will die at sixty-nine. My father died at sixty-eight. Outlived his mother by one year. I predicted my arrest. I was thirty-four, which is half of sixty-eight. I knew that that the number seventeen would be the last because two times seventeen equals thirty-four. I even calculated the extra days for leap years, like for the oh. year the Dolphins play the Super Bowl. You remember that? <laughs> was that a direct quote? Yeah, that, that was a direct quote. quote. That was a direct quote. He and he did say like, yeah, leap year, like you know when the Dolphins won the like that. That's his touchstone for a leap year. It's the year the Dolphins won the Super Bowl. Wow. Stupid. (laughs) It's very stupid. But by the end of it all, Joel Rifkin was sentenced to over 200 years in prison and got sent to Attica, which at the time, 
also held Mark David Chapman and David Berkowitz. All three of them were in the same prison at the same time. My (laughs) angina. Seriously, they could not keep milk in that prison if they wanted to. How much milk those fuckers gotta go through, man? Those three in there, dude? Oh my god. But since then, that dream team of New York shitheads has been broken up. And Joe Rifkin has spent the last 26 years in solitary confinement because he was getting bullied too much by the other inmates. Like, they weren't even threatening to kill him. They were just, like, throw, like literally throwing Pushing shit him. at him. Like, they were yeah. just throwing yeah. cups of piss and, like, cups of shit. And you he would complain it. about it. He would stop complain about it. it. He would actually go, real classy, guys. Real classy. Real classy. Real classy. <laughs> yeah. No, it's ass. It's Attica, so it's not classy isn't really in the vernacular of actions. So he doesn't even leave his cell during the hour of recreation he's allowed each day. He spends 24 hours a day in his fucking solitary confinement Well, I guess with his 17 tapes, he gets to replay in his head all the time. Yeah, he does. And he says he still remembers every single minute of it to this day. Mm -hmm. Instead, he only leaves his cell three times a week for 10 minutes to take a shower. And that is how he will live in cowardice until the day he dies. It ain't Got worth him. it. That's number one. No, Don't man, kill anybody. I mean, you know, I also yourself. like to end this episode with a reminder, truly, that sex work is work. And yeah. that it's we need to take care of these people because they're not disposable. They're our no. human beings that have lives. And it's just a job. Well, something that is job. disposable is America's only sex doll store. That is, uh, is feel free. deeply disposable. Why rent? They're trying to replace humans. And we should keep it human, keep sex work human. And yeah. uh, I feel it's very close to comedy where we're just trying to make people's lives a little bit better. And yeah. so I, I'll never understand it. So just trying to make Joel smile. Rifkin. I hope that I hope you choke to death on a fucking hot dog. Yeah. I don't think he's going to get any hot dogs. <laughs> they get it on July 4th. No, they give you they get no, they don't do any special meals anymore. He gets the loaf. Uh, which I'm sure loaf. which I'm sure he complains about every single sure. day. Oh All right, guys. everyone. Well, thank you so Ooh. much for listening to this series on Joel Rifkin. Interesting to get back to some blood and guts. And just a reminder what fucking pathetic losers all of these morons are. But, but you hear right. that sound. You hear that sound. Dong. <gasps> Dong. What? Dong. Dong. We made it. It's $4.99 today. That means the next episode that was officially a last podcast episode will be episode 500. 500 episodes of pure mirth, mm, joy, yeah. edutainment, perfectly done podcastery. Perfectly. Isn't it strange how I don't Perfect I don't effort. enjoy the uh, I just don't enjoy celebrating it? Because doesn't <laughs> it mean then that aren't we closer to the grave? Every day. Yeah. Every I mean, minute. everything. I feel almost the same way on episode 500 as to do my 41st birthday coming up. I almost feel huh. angry about it. That's interesting. Wow. You know, I I feel a little bit somewhat the same about my 40th birthday coming up uh, on January yeah. 19th, in which we will be in Perth, Australia, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> for my 40th birthday, January oh, 19th, you better come, Perth. 2023. You, you, you better come. But you we have a couple come. announcements. We have, yes. um, so next week, before we get to episode 500, because it is so thick, we're going to be doing, we're getting to UFOs next week, which I think yeah. everyone will enjoy. Then yeah. you'll see what we have planned for you, and basically for the rest of the summer, which I'm really, really excited for. Marcus, but did you see that the head of the Kinks, the lead singer, he was abducted by a UFO and they told him he could never come again. I was then told he was Wait, not Ray the Davies? lead singer. It was 
not yeah. Rick Davies. It was the other guy. Dave Ray I Davies. Don't, Dave it Davies. Was a, okay, it yeah. was Ray Davies. Davies. It was Ray, Ray Davies. Davies and Dave Davies. That's interesting. We already got we corrected. We've already oh, got corrected. Fucking no. People are no. upset. People we're actually we're upset. actually discovering in the, the next the subject of the next No Dogs in Space series. Uh, very much a UFO believer. Name checks Colin Wilson. She is uh, somebody that we're not going to announce it just yet who we're covering, but she's a, a wonderful woman. And yeah, surprisingly <laughs> super into UFOs. Super into right. UFOs. All right. Yeah, I love it. We're getting into it. Uh, uh, and speaking of Australia, one thing I wanted to say about Australia and my 40th birthday, we're going to be ending in New Zealand. And I want to do I want to do a Lord of the Rings thing. Like I want to do a whole Lord of the Rings thing. We're going to do a thing. I want to do it with you. I want to do a Lord of the Rings. Oh, hell yeah. So what does the, that mean? What is the Lord of the Rings thing? Well, all the movies were shot in New Zealand. No, I know, but so what you are you going to do, do like for we got, You can do tours. Like, you can do tours of, like, here's the fields of Rohan. Here's the gate, the black gates of Mordor. Here's the Shire. And if any of you listeners out there, if you run a super cool tour that's not like, oh, uh, here's the guy that, you mm-hmm. know, made the fucking Hobbit butts. Like, there's all these weird tours where hey, you need Hobbit a whole bunch of... Hobbit butts are incredibly <laughs> complex. <laughs> Absolutely. Our buddy Manny but takes a lot of the Hobbit butts and he actually really it's actually pretty pretty incredible it's very difficult yeah. to do but yes and of course i missed your 30th birthday so we're gonna make it a tradition every zero birthday maybe i don't have to be there how are you gonna not be there we have a show we have work that day no i we know have, but i can't you I, will I be can't. forced to be there no we they're have just gonna make fun of me they're gonna make fun of me for being a tree <laughs> that's what you get but yes that's your, but yes, what you I deserve do. but if anybody out there like knows of anyone that runs like a super cool like Three or four day, maybe five day, like Lord, like Lord of the Rings tour. Five if you day. know one does it, or, I yeah, do it. I'm you with can't you. just do I'm it in a day. It's a country. It's a huge thing. It's a big right. deal. So if okay, you know of anyone who does up. it, or if you do it, side stories lpotl at gmail.com. Get a hold of us because I want to. I want to start planning my 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 Hobbit journey. I'll be there. Then we're gonna do it. Um, no, I, can't wait. I can't wait. Uh, they, would you say like ah? We're gonna make a lot of that. I'm gonna go, mm, like that one video that replaces the uh, replaces all the sounds. Indeed, the indeed the fields uh, of Rohan. But for those of you that will be at San Diego Comic Con next yeah. week, we will be there as well. Come and check us out. We have signings, I believe. On uh, we have a panel Friday. Yes, Friday. Ten thirty in the morning. Um, there's yeah, ten thirty a.m. Yeah. You're going to love, early, gonna yeah. love us at 10.30 in the morning. Uh, and then we have signings on uh, Friday and Saturday. Come check it out. Come visit us at yeah. the booth. Can't fucking wait to be back at Comic-Con. It's going to be fucking sweet. Yeah, yeah we um, can't wait. Pre-order last comic book on the left, issue two on Z2Comics.com. Yeah. Issue two, yeah, and we're getting it. We just got in a script from James Tinney in the fourth, who does Woo! Department of Truth, uh, fucking, fucking Joker War, uh, Nice House on the Lake. So many great horror comics. So we just got something in from him, and we got so many fucking amazing creators like Rick Veitch also working on this book. I'm gonna be doing something from this book. Henry's doing something for this book. Yeah, this one's a, this second one is a, it gonna be a big, big. I'm big, gonna big. do something. I'm doing something for the third book. I'm gonna do something. What are you gonna yeah. do? I'm gonna do something. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, baby. I can't wait. All I right, everyone. Wait. Well, thank you so much for listening. Thanks for supporting all the shows. Also, thanks to all the great calls we've been getting on our serious radio show. That's Seriously. every Monday. Um, and it's always every Monday. So that's 4 p.m. PST and 7 p.m. EST. So feel free to call in there. Uh, y'all have been great. It's been great to talk to you. And uh, yeah, that's about it. And all I right, everyone. That you gird your loins because here comes Angina Man. Angina <laughs> Man. That you're mortal. <laughs> mm, hail yourselves, everyone. Hail Satan. Again, magustalations. Hail me, y'all. Hey. In case of a nuclear attack, just go inside and stay inside. Put on them sunglasses. That's for sure. Take up sunglasses. 
Don't forget to take off all of your clothes and put them in a plastic <laughs> bag, as they may have been covered in radioactive <laughs> dust or debris. Put the rest of you, just clean. Clean. You must clean as soon as. But also get inside. But also clean. But also stay inside and stay away from windows. But also clean yourself. Find a plastic bag. Move to the middle of the building. I literally did feel like uh, like Roddy Piper in They Live because you can just see the word fear being <laughs> just like yes. snapping yes. in the yes. back. Fear, fear, fear. No, I definitely looked around the office and just said, nope, not surviving this one. These big fucking windows. Nope, this isn't happens while I'm here. I don't really want to be here if it already comes. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't really. Not getting out. Hail yourselves. (laughs) On a light note. (laughs) This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney Presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific Time, only on Netflix. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.